You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 415. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. Your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG Headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 7th of March, 2020. In today's episode, an air conditioning hose gets sucked into a passenger jet engine at the gate. Mother and daughter attack an airline captain in an argument over carry-on baggage. More news, your feedback, and in today's plane tales, passing gas. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 415 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger Stern. He's an Emmy Award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation, 1010 Winds, and that's in New York City. Welcome, everybody, to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast, and I'm your host, Captain Jeff, a captain for a major legacy airline uh, based here in Atlanta, GA, and uh, we talk about aviation news and cover your feedback. And here to help me with that today... From her lakeside home in the Carolinas, she's a doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot. We call her Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. It is so lovely to be here this morning. Looking forward to a great show today. I as well. And joining us from his studio, studio, see ya. in the uh, English countryside, professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired captain for an international airline based in London. It's Captain Nick. Uh, good afternoon, Jeff. What a lovely time of the day to have this show. And uh, I feel really bright and perky, sort of. <laughs> really? Huh. Yes. That's uh, kind of unusual. All right. And uh, also joining us from the northwest Atlanta suburbs, barbecue master, Motorcycle rider, pleasure boat skipper, underwater photographer, and captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier. It's Captain Dana. Well, good morning. Well, I'm going back to sleep, I guess. <laughs> mm, see ya. What? Yeah. <laughs> going back to sleep. <laughs> it's, it's morning. The what time are we doing here? On the, it's great, though. It, it's actually nice to get this thing started at this time of the day. Get this Hi, guys. party started. <laughs> get it started. Well, I'm still from last night going on partying. Oh, okay. Well, this should be interesting then. Well, welcome all to the show. And uh, let's see. I think let's go ahead and just get right on into it and start with the news. Stand by for news.
Okay, uh, one airline in the uh, UK, a regional, I think they call it a regional airline, but uh, I think that Nick can clarify. But the headline is Flybe Airline Collapses Two Months After Government Announces Rescue. Um, the impact on uh, the corona, I mean, the impact of the coronavirus on flight bookings proves the final straw for Europe's largest regional airline. Um, so the UK Civil Aviation Authority announced early on Thursday morning that the airline had entered administration. It said all flights were canceled and urged passengers not to go to airports. In a statement, the chief executive, Mark Anderson, said the company had made every... Oh, any relation, Nick? Mark? Is that your uh, brother? I do. Funny enough, I do have a brother <laughs> called Mark. Oh, well, so I didn't know but, he was the chief executive for Flybe. <laughs> well, neither did I, yeah, quite oh, honestly. Didn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, he said the company has made every possible attempt to avoid collapse, but collapse, but had been unable to overcome significant funding challenges. Uh, the UK has uh, lost one of its greatest regional assets. Flybe has been a key part of the UK aviation industry for four decades, connecting regional communities, people, and businesses across the entire nation. Uh, I was reading somewhere that uh, they did about 40% of the domestic uh, flights in the UK, which is, a, that's a huge chunk of flying, Nick. It, it is, but uh, sadly, a lot of those routes weren't uh, particularly profitable ones. Uh, you know, they're, they're marvelous to have a flight from your back door uh, to somewhere else that you might want to go visit that's not a big city or something. But, uh, uh, you know, as a result, you can fly an awful lot of uh, half a, half full airplanes or you may not be able to charge a lot for your tickets. Um, it, it's a great service, I think, um, that a regional airline like uh, Flybe performed because they kept communities together uh, much easier than it would have been and actually less expensive than to uh, go on a train. Uh, and it helped people to leave their cars in the garage, which I think, you know, in these worlds, uh, you know, concerns about pollution, uh, air quality is a, is a great thing. But, um, you know, in the UK and Europe in particular, we very much let these airlines uh, live and die on their profit margins. And, Flybe's product mar profit margin was very, very slim. So even though the government had deferred a big tax bill they had to try and get them over this hump, I think the current problem with the coronavirus and the, uh, the drop in air traffic that it's caused was really the final nail in the coffin for them. Yeah, this coronavirus thing is really going to affect a, a lot of uh, industries around the world. And uh, it's uh, and of course, just like the coronavirus itself and COVID-19, uh, it's going to affect the people that have suppressed uh, immune systems. Did I get that right this time? Stuff? Yes. That, that's uh, not depressed, but not suppressed depressed. <laughs> uh, immune systems. Uh, and they're likely going to be the first ones to die, unfortunately. And it looks like Flybe, its immune system was suppressed and uh, it was already suffering before this outbreak and uh and mm -hmm. they're just going to be mm -hmm. probably one of first or one of many perhaps that may end up failing during this uh this crisis yeah. 
I mean, I'm I'm hoping that this will all have blown over in six months, Me too. and that uh, Flybe may reemerge in another form. Uh, it had a lot of supporters. Uh, there were investment coming in from companies like Virgin Atlantic and uh, other investors. Uh, uh, even the um, the the heavy heavy goods vehicle transport company, uh, Stobart, uh, which have a kind of an aviation investment wing, were part owners but uh, the sort of places they went to were like the island of anglesey where which is at the top left hand corner of wales they used to fly way up to the very north of uh, scotland up in wick uh, onto the isle of man um and uh, you know exeter southampton which is reasonably local to me at that port, airport uh flyby provided 90 percent of their uh flights mm-hmm. in and out and they've got a lovely little airport. It's gorgeous. They've invested a lot of money in the in the new terminal. It's really easy to park. It looks great. They have lovely staff. Uh, and with Flybe stopping flying there, um, you know, it's not going to just affect them. It'll affect all the employees at that airport. It may not even be able to stay open, hmm. which is an absolute crying shame. Now, as soon as we can, we need to get some other company to pick up the load and increase um, their the coverage of these airports because otherwise communities just become and, and feel more remote than they should mm-hmm. so a question nick um mm. so i actually flew with um this has nothing to do with it but fly i flew with flyby last year from actually from heathrow to edinburgh so not um to any tiny towns or anything like that but mm-hmm. um uh that was on a day when British Airways was on strike, so they were picking up some of the slack and actually had very full aircraft that day. Fair and were doing um, a lot from a customer service side of things to make sure those passengers continued to want to fly with them. So um, very nice experience with them, and it's, it's really a shame. Um, but I'm just thinking about, like, here in the States, we have some of those essential air service routes that are government-supported. doesn't sound like maybe there's kind of the same thing in the, uh, the UK for... Uh, no, you know, not that I'm aware of. There's probably an EU regulation that prevents a government from supporting a, an airline with government investment, which is effectively what it is. Hmm. Uh, I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea, particularly for remote communities that rely on this uh, for the only way, really, to get quickly up and down the country uh, from one remote place to another. Otherwise, you've got to position yourself to a major hub and then get on a a more conventional uh, style of flight like British Airways will operate from the major cities, all around the major cities here. But if you're on an outlying uh, city uh, that isn't normally served by an airline, this is the sort of company that used to do it for you. Brilliant. Hmm. Well, sad story. and um... Very much so. And uh, I know Al knew a uh, Al, we're going to chat about him uh, in a while because it's his birthday, um, knew a number of the pilots there. So he was uh, you know, very despondent on their behalf as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, this this industry that we talk about every week and some of us participate in is one of those that has its ups and downs, literally <laughs> and figuratively. And unfortunately, yeah. now this is uh, just you know any kind of a little hiccup uh, can really disrupt in a, in a very significant way. And, uh, that's, that's kind of a shame, especially if you happen to be on the wrong end of the, of the stick, so to speak. Absolutely. As Al is in the chat room says, as did, uh, Tim Newton, uh, other companies will try and fill the gap, but it's not going to be nearly as easy. Flybe uh, did have, uh, you know, cover a lot of the country and made it much simpler for people to uh, move around. 
Okay. Looks like uh, Ben is saying there are a handful of public service obligation routes in Wales and Scotland that are supported by the taxpayer. Not many, though. Okay. So they, I guess they do have that sort of system then over uh, over there, but maybe yeah, not as extensive I, I as Yeah, I guess there, there's yeah. probably some special cases. Yeah. Um, and that just makes uh, sense. Only well, it does if there's if it's impractical uh, for any other transport system to right. cover it, like I guess some of the outlying uh, Scottish islands where you know the, the there were no ferries. It's not mm-hmm. economical, mm-hmm. so they uh, provide um, an air fly. transport. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's move to the uh, next. I mean, I know this will not be the last time we talk about the coronavirus, COVID nineteen, and how it's affecting all of us uh, around the world. Uh, but let's move on to the uh, uh, an accident that occurred because of uh, some wildfires in Australia. And we've talked about this crash on the show before, but uh, this is just to say that the preliminary report on the Colson C-130 crash has been released. Uh, it uh, just, if you're not aware or haven't heard about this, it was a Lockheed C-130 that was a large air tanker doing aerial firefighting operations northeast of Kuma, New South Wales, on the 23rd of January, 2020. And uh, the airplane crashed, and all three air crew were fatally injured. Uh, the preliminary report details basic factual information established in the investigation's early evidence collection phase, including the accident sequence of events, wreckage and impact information, and weather details. The preliminary report also confirms that ATSB data recovery analysts were able to successfully download the C-130's cockpit voice recorder. Although the recorder assembly was damaged in the accident, ATSB investigators were able to successfully recover all the data from the CVR's crash-protected memory module. However, unfortunately, the CVR had not recorded any audio from the accident flight. Instead, all recovered audio was from a previous flight when the aircraft was operating in the United States. Uh, the, the aircraft had been in Australia since November of last year, and why the CVR did not record the accident flight will be considered as part of the ongoing investigation. So that's kind of an, an odd thing. I, I suppose that that airplane had been flying quite a bit since it had uh, arrived from the U.S. and uh, was in Australia before the uh, accident flight. And it's kind of odd that the CVR wasn't working. So I don't know for their type of operations whether it was uh, a, requirement. a compulsory item. Oh, maybe not. MEL, mm-hmm. since they're not carrying passengers. Mm-hmm. I've, I have no idea what kind of a, a permit these people fly under. Yeah. I don't know, but they make it sound like in the preliminary report that it was something that was a little odd. So maybe, yeah, you might be right. Maybe it's not a requirement, but I guess we're going to find out. I haven't actually sat down and read the preliminary, the actual preliminary report. I'm looking at it right now. It's all Mm -hmm. just factual data about, you know, where the accident site was, what, uh, you know, how the impact actually occurred. It doesn't give any insight into um, potential causes or anything like that. It's just... Mm -hmm factual data okay well if you want to sit down cuddle up with a nice preliminary report it's going to be itsn in the show notes all right moving on to item c which is um jet smart a320 at puerto mont on february 21st 2020 this from the aviation herald had a severe hard landing (laughs) 
Did you? I, I I don't mean to chuckle, but um, I just I'm remembering watching the video. Had have you had a chance to uh, look at it? Uh, I'm going to watch it right. Please now, do actually. right now because it is. I did not realize there was a video with this. Yeah, it's very okay. jarring. It's that it. link. It's, at it's the... only like 20 seconds here. Yeah. So here we go. Let's see. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait oh, for it. ah. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> so explain to us what you're seeing. Um, so initial, very hard touchdown, obvious, and it, and then bounced immediately back up into the air and another, probably also hard touchdown second time. So, well, it was only 3.6 G. Only, only. I mean, that's That's a lot. (laughs) That's typically more than my landings. Uh, a JetSmart Chile Airbus A320-200 registration, Charlie, Charlie, Alpha, Whiskey, Alpha, performing flight one. 51 from Santiago to Puerto Montt, uh, landed on the runway 17 at about 1640 local time, but touched down hard at uh, about 3.6 G, bounced, touched down a second time, and rolled out without further incident. The aircraft was un- unable to continue service and is still on the ground six days later. And this was, I don't know, it's probably been more than that now. This has been in our news folder for a little bit. Anyway, the local weather station reported uh, temperature 28 degrees C, a little warm, dew point 1 degree C, winds from the east at about 5 knots, QNH 1005. Uh, so it doesn't look like, um, you Nothing know, crazy. adverse weather. Yeah. Looks like kind of a nice day, actually. The video yeah. looks like a nice day. It looks like they just failed to flare. Yeah, it's exactly what it looks like. There was no flare. That's like a, an, an example of uh, the proper technique to use when flying your fighter in the Navy and landing on an aircraft carrier. Yeah, that's right. And we all know that when you fly, you've got to do it with flare. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ooh, good point. Show title, perhaps? Yeah. Do it, Especially, do it with flair. Yeah, you have flare. to see Nick with his hand motion <laughs> when he was saying that. Just, just grab the uh, screenshot of that particular part. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. <laughs> All right. So uh, that's the only data we have on this, but I just wanted to talk about it because that video, that video you all have to watch that to uh, to see it just smack down hard at the end of the runway. But I don't know. Maybe there was some kind of a... Uh, some kind of a visual illusion or something uh, that caused them to... I don't know. There's no real information about this runway Mm-mm. in the uh, stuff from the Aviation Herald. But yeah, maybe it's got an unusual... Um, maybe it's narrow or I don't know. Yeah. There's an unusual approach to it. Maybe they were idea. fatigued and they were just yeah. in micro sleeps. <laughs> Both of them. <laughs> Who knows? All right. Mm-hmm. Um Moving on uh, to the last item in our news folder, a nice short news segment this uh, this episode, and uh, this is. Like, does this need the bad boys theme at all? Oh yeah, you're really? right. It yeah. should uh, yeah. be played. Should not it? Bad boys. And before you know it, I'll already have a copyright uh, violation notice in my email. <laughs> Worth it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. This is from the times.co.uk. Uh, Henrietta Mittiari. I'm not sure how you pronounce her last name. M-I-T-A-I-A-R-E. Allegedly pushed Guido Keel to the floor before scratching and kicking him. And I believe that Guido is the, or Guido, um, is the name of the captain, right? 
Mm, correct. Okay. A mother and daughter assaulted an airline captain in his cockpit during an argument over a buggy. A court has been told. Mary Roberts, 53 years old, and Henrietta, um, last name starts with an M, uh, 23. Metia. Yeah. Uh, yep. Ooh. I have no idea. That sounds that nice. sounds good. Yeah, yeah, it does. Allegedly attacked Guido Kiel after the Swiss Air flight from Zurich touched down at Heathrow on May 2nd of last year. The captain was left with scratches on his face and a bite on his upper arm. Uh, let's see. Ali Shakerda, the cabin manager, said that uh, Ms. Mitali <laughs> had become angry at the Zurich airport after he refused to allow her to carry the uh, baby buggy on board. He told the court that we put tags on the baggage to put it in the hold. She said, it's too expensive. And she didn't want to put it in the hold. I said, well, it's already labeled, so it's not my decision. And then she started arguing. Two members of airport staff then arrived and argued with her before the mother stepped in to calm her daughter down. As passengers disembarked at Heathrow, uh, the uh, younger one, uh, the daughter, approached Mr. Checkerda and asked for the names of the Swiss airport workers to make a complaint. He said that there was a back and forth, which prompted Mr. Keel, the uh, captain, to come out from the cockpit. She said something like, don't meddle with it. You have nothing to do with it. And then she said, uh, Swiss people are racist because she was a black woman traveling with a child. So that's the reason she's uh, accusing them of that. The, the only reason why they put it underneath is because she was a black mm. person and that they're all racist. And he said, we have to stop it. Could you please step aside? Uh, she said, don't touch me. And then everything went all crazy or she went all crazy when somebody actually touched her. Um, the um, attorney for the prosecution said that Mrs. Mitaria, well, how did you say it again? Mitia. Mitia. <laughs> grabbed the captain. Miss, Ms. M grabbed the captain by his, the hand and pushed him into the cockpit. There was a tussle. She ended up on top of the captain. We have lots of flares and tussles. On today's show, mm. uh, the mother also went into the cockpit and was kicking the captain while he was on the floor, saying, "Get off my daughter." Uh, the sh the court was shown. Who was on who again? <laughs> I'm not really sure. It sounds to me like the <laughs> captain was on the bottom of everything, <laughs> and then the Ms. M was on top of the captain, and then I guess the mother kind of joined the whole the whole thing. <laughs> and I'm just gonna. I'm just picturing this. In I know. Wrong, I mean, in it, the wrong way, if you know what I mean. Oh well, yeah, I do. <laughs> no, I was, I was kind of picturing it in a hilarious way of yeah. just yeah. like everyone kind of rolling around and hair being pulled, and you know, not a lot of not a lot of room to be tussling around. I'm I wondering wouldn't if, imagine. Uh, oh yeah, so in, back into the so back they were still in the on cockpit. the aircraft. <laughs> At least it's an Airbus 320, right? I think. Yeah, Is not that, like a 73 or something. Yeah, so it, yeah, that couldn't have happened in uh, Dana and my airplane. <laughs> there, no. there would not be room to tussle <laughs> at all. So that's, I guess barely, that's a, there's barely room for me. That's po that's a positive, I'd say. <laughs> no, well, the good thing is at least you could, didn't have, wouldn't have room for a big swing. You know? Right, it would be like little. Yeah, so I guess they were yeah, like just slapping each other with, with <laughs> yeah. tiny hands. Um, so apparently, this got out of hand. Uh, the the co-pilot Friedrich Puiler. Uh, said that he had been reluctant to use force to break up the struggle. It was a problem for me because she was a woman, he said. Uh, he uh, asked if Mr. Keel had failed to show similar restraint. Um, Mr. Prelaire made reference, the co-pilot made reference to the Tokyo Convention, 
which grants certain immunities for aircraft captains if they believe that there is a threat to the safety of people on board. He used force only force only to make her not able to move anymore. He was not punching. So, um, interesting situation. I think that the captain was just trying to defuse the situation and apparently uh, touched the young lady and the young lady went crazy. And then there was a big, a big fight. A kerfuffle. Yes. A major kerfuffle. What do you think about this? Is this, uh, you know, it's hard, you know, to know exactly what happened just looking at. I can. So I'm just going to say briefly that I can sympathize having had a very similar situation um, with um, someone not allowing me to consolidate bags and bring them onto the aircraft and very frustrating when you're just not given the opportunity. I'm not sure why it would have cost her. Did you like I don't know about jump on him and knock him to the floor and there was a big... Well, you know, I had a brief moment of like <laughs> wanting to be mad about it. And then I said, you know, I just really need to be on this aircraft and I don't want... I'm not going to make any sort of fuss about it because it really doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it's going to take me, you know, an extra three minutes to go down to baggage claim and reclaim my bag afterwards. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Really wasn't what I wanted to do, but it was fine. Like in the yeah. long run of things, I was clearly not going to win the argument in that moment. I was like exhausted and tired from having run, you know, a half marathon through the Phoenix airport um, in my ski gear. And it was like 80 degrees in Phoenix that morning. So mm. that was I'm trying too. to picture you skiing down through the airport. <laughs> Covered in sweat. And... <laughs> I was I really like, really, I was a mess. And, you know, <laughs> and, it's you not know, the picture my... that Nick has in his mind. I can tell you. No, yeah. No, 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 no. Were you um, running in your ski boots? I had my ski boots slung over my shoulder and that was the extra um, piece of baggage that they had taken exception uh, to because I didn't have time yeah. to repack them into my, anyway, long story. Um, so I can, I can sympathize a little bit with where you're expecting to be able to just, you know, easily get on an aircraft and, um, I don't know any airline that allows you to take a baby buggy, you know, onto the, like that always has to be gate checked because there's just not going to be room for it. So that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, and I don't know how it works in Europe, but in the United States, um, those items are not charged for if it's gate checked. So um, sporting equipment has a separate category, but I don't know if you're entitled to have it in the cabin or that has to be in. Well, the no, I had unpacked, yeah, I had unpacked it from my, my other bag. Um, so it just didn't get put back into the the carry-on bag so that is different um but yeah i i don't know why this became such a big issue it sounds like people's uh people were probably just uh tense to begin with um air travel can do that to some folks yeah um, she'd had the whole flight to build up a head mm -hmm, of steam mm -hmm. i think this just in from tim needham uh in the uk mrs Ms. M was found guilty and her mother was acquitted. So apparently well, there you go. And that sounds probably correct for the situation. Yeah. So people Good. keep your heads, Results. please. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Tim. Uh, that's it for our news segment. Uh, Rick and I covered a couple of uh, items on our uh, abbreviated episode on Thursday night. So, Check it out if you want to hear more news. But anyway, let's get on with my favorite segment of the show, which is when we get to talk about what we've been doing with our lives uh, between shows. And let's see. Dana, you know what? Let's start with you because we haven't seen you in a while. You weren't able to make the last show. No. And uh, so tell us, what have you been up to, sir? 
Well, unfortunately, I was unable to make the last show because I had uh, <clears throat> obligations to a friend that we've talked about before and has actually participated, my buddy Dave. Yeah, I met him. He's a yep, very nice guy. Very nice bloke. And he had notified me that he was coming in town on a very long layover. Um, so uh, I said, okay, well, I can't be in two places at once. You're obviously not here very often anymore because he originally lived here in the Atlanta area. Now lives down on the west coast of Florida because it's a lot more convenient for him for work because he flies for Spirit wow. uh, based out of Fort Lauderdale. So I, we miss him dearly. So we decided decided to I decided to make that I made that hard captain decision to go ahead and uh, skip out last week. So I apologize, everybody, but I had a, a legitimate reason. Um, but I did have something from my last trip before that I did want to talk about. Uh, my first aborted takeoff. Oh, how fun. I had an aborted takeoff in El Paso. El Paso, I think, is roughly 3,200-foot elevation, and we were on the long runway, runway, uh, um, was it runway four? I think it's runway four. Something like that. That's yes. a general direction. General direction. Uh, so it was, uh, I think that runway is somewhere around 12,000 feet long. We taxied out onto the runway and uh, it was a very, it was a particularly windy day. Um, I think the winds were zero five or zero six zero, gusting to about 35 knots. Steady state was 26 and gusts of 35. I think that's what it was. So not uh, in danger of the crossing limitation, as we talked about the last time I was on the show. Um, so we're fine. Uh, rolling down the runway, you know, we, we say, you know, um, well, I, I shouldn't say specifically what we say, right? That might give away. But uh, it, uh, it's, it's a call out. It's, uh, yeah. you know, auto throttles on, mm -hmm. clamp, A knots, thrust normal. And uh, just about before I said that, um, I noticed my OAP had a message on it. And that's the overhead? Overhead enunciator panel, okay. which is basically our display panel. It looks like a little mini computer screen. Um, and it said, pylon flap fault. Uh, hmm. I thought about for one hundredth of a second. I was hoping it was going to go away by the time I went through my 80 knots, you know, Thrust normal. It didn't. At that point, I said, "I have the aircraft aboard." So I was right at the at the cusp of being in the high speed realm. Mm Aborted -hmm. um, the the you know aborted the, the takeoff roll. Stopped the aircraft straight ahead. Just took a deep breath. Kind of thought about it for a second. And by that time, the message went away. So I uh, <clears throat> I attributed that message to likely being caused because what is the pylon flap is a uh, a device that's in between our engine and the in the fuselage just kind of it's in between and what it does it's for stall recovery so if you get into a deep stall those flaps will come down and push the nose of the aircraft back over right so what went through my mind immediately when I when I decided to make that call to stop the aircraft on the runway and abort the is it was a flight control issue. So that's the reason why I decided to discontinue. And it was, I think, in, in final analysis and talking to everybody, it was the perfect call to make. Um, but just the first time I've ever had to make that type of decision in such a short amount of time. And it's really, it's, it's surreal because everything happens very fast. Mm -hmm. Airplane, you know, before you're even thinking about Okay, what do I do next? What do I do next? It's just all our training is is so good that as soon as you start going down that road, it you 
you immediately do everything and then you don't even have to think about it. It's just, you know, reverses the spoilers, the aircraft stopping. All right, now we've got the aircraft stop. Think about what we're going on, what we've got going on. Brake temps look good. The engine, everything looks normal. I have no no reason to roll the trucks because we're right there about 80 knots and pulled off, you know, pulled off the side of the runway and, you know, into taxiway and then reevaluated, contacted the dispatch and, and maintenance control and uh, discussed what, what they wanted to do. And we did ultimately put it on MEL, but we had to go back to the gate because there's a specific procedure that we have to go through and verify the position of the, the pylon flap in the uh, A cars. And it was too windy for us to be able to go, you know, have a maintenance person get up in a cherry picker and go ahead and use uh, that to verify because I think it's like two and a quarter, two and a half degree uh, slop in, you know, for, for it to be off of, of, of its normal position. And, you know, somebody would have to get up in the cherry picker in that high wind. So we just decided to go through the FMS and do it that way, but it did, did require maintenance intervention. So very interesting on the abort. Um, and, you know, we had to run through our procedures and, and, uh, first time I've ever done that ever and in the, my career. Did you have, at, uh, at, did the brakes get, uh, all heated up or no, they, not they, they, they were, they <laughs> actually, that was the funny part because you know, on on the ninety, because this is an MD ninety. The MD ninety takes ninety percent force on the rudder pedals on the brakes to uh, disengage the brakes. So I just let, in kind of, and again, coming back to my training, I just let the airplane do its job. But when it stopped, oh, it was abrupt. Oh, I, mean, I was going to say, yeah, it must have been. Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, we stopped real fast because you know the nineties brakes are, are amazing. Um, so as soon as I pulled out, out those reverses, I mean, the reverses came out, the spoilers came out, the brakes applied, and we went from eighty to about zero in about I don't know five hundred feet. I mean, it mm-hmm. was it was abrupt. Um, so, but I I didn't push on the brakes because I let the airplane just do its job. Because, mm-hmm. you know, in the sim, we tend to overreact and, you know, kick off the brakes. And, you know, then things start happening you know, mm-hmm. in the wrong direction. So I let the airplane do its job. So, But when it came to zero, it was like, boom, and the whole, the whole airplane shook. Mm-hmm. Of course, first thing I did at, at that point was, uh, you know, check on my first officer, tell them we're not rolling the trucks. Go ahead and, uh, you know, call my flight attendant, let them know, you know, we're okay after, you know, and that wasn't immediate, you know, give me a few seconds to analyze the situation, see what we we're doing. Call the flight attendant, said, we're okay. Make sure everybody's seated. Everybody's seated. Yes. Okay. Then I made the PA to the folks, ladies and gentlemen, we had a little bit of an issue. We had to uh, discontinue our, our takeoff roll and we'll be taxiing off the runway and please remain seated. We see belts fastened and mm-hmm. I'll be back with you just as quickly as I can. So that's how that whole thing transpired. Um, a lot of learning going on there, but I, you know, w- the biggest thing that I that I really uh, felt that I learned was that our, the training that we go through, it's amazing. You know, we get into such a, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a rhythm of just doing things, and everything's happening normally, normally all the time. I mean, we take off, we land, we cruise, we, you know, everything is always in a rhythm, and and you almost become complacent. Then all of a sudden, something abnormal happens. And it was amazing to me how the training kicked in without me even having to really think about it. So it just shows you how effective that training is. Excellent. So, uh, so that's what happened on that abort in El Paso. And we, you know, went and had the uh, MEL applied, uh, all procedures done, and headed to Atlanta. No further incident on that one. Uh, but I honestly think that it was the wind. I, you know, 
I don't think. Have you ever seen this, Chef? Have you ever seen a pylon flap on, on takeoff roll? No. No. So I think it really had a lot to do with how gusty the wind was. And it probably just hit the 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 center and the sensor. And all it is is a little hat switch, right? So the sensor may have, it just bounced just a, a hair because it went on and went off almost as quickly. So mm-hmm. it was there for maybe three or four seconds, mm-hmm. but long enough for me to see it, long enough for me to say, "Hey, I got a flight control issue," and abort the, abort the flight. So that's what I mm-hmm. think really happened. Um, so I, I don't think I really had a true uh, flight control issue back there after thinking about it but you have to make that 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 decision um then just two other things uh flew with the first officer that knew you jeff and and saw met liz miss liz up in toronto with with captain jeff uh drew he says hello to the whole entire community what a pleasure to fly with him he had a lot of great things to say about you jeff uh i i I just i saw his you know it's like his nose was growing it was like pinocchio (laughs) Um, (laughs) he he felt compelled to lie and yes very good things about me oh that's good yeah bless your heart drew Thank yes, you. He must be flying again with you soon. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, I got another. Let's say some good things. <laughs> so, Just in uh, case, because I, was, I want him to continue to buy all my beer and stuff. So that's right. He yeah. he he. You want him to look to fly with you. So uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He he really had uh, high regards for you, Captain Jeff, and uh, it was an absolute pleasure with flying with you. He's a sharp guy, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we we actually went out every night together and had dinner or had lunch or. You know, we hung out, we talked. I'm not a big talker, uh, as most people know. I don't talk a whole lot, uh, especially on trips. But Drew and I just talked the entire time. So it was really, really a nice trip. Good. Uh, good rapport. Very good rapport. And then the last thing, we <laughs> we know how we like to talk about pets and cabin, right? Mm-hmm. Had, a, had a passenger in the back of the airplane on the uh, flight up to Dulles that refused to cooperate with the flight attendant because the pet when you you know even though you're you're you know it wasn't a um emotional support animal it was a pet in cabin where they're supposed to be in the in the carrier mm-hmm. he kept on refusing to keep the pet in the carrier which is what is required and had it had the pet on its lap mm-hmm. it was a, a small cute dog of course Looked just like Taco, actually. Um, Aww. It's Aww. so cute. I felt bad, but listen, you know, I we have rules. Rules. Fl- and rules are rules, and flight attendant was 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 unfortunately, you know, made note of it, and he took offense to it, and it became a very uh, uh, contentious uh, scenario in flight. Um, and before we even left the gate, you know, he he was uh, was causing some issues, so we had to have a uh, uh, red coat. Um, passenger service agent, passenger service agent. That's, I had to think about that for mm-hmm. a second. Passenger service agent meet, uh, the pat, the passenger on arrival. And it was just not a good situation. The, the flight tent was saying one thing and then the passenger was saying something. And, and here I am, I'm looking at it and I said, well, you know, I've got to go by what the policy says. Oh, wait a minute. And then, then you, did you touch his arm and then you had a tussle in the cockpit and he was beating on you up you. and yeah. And, no. Well, we were out. In the, we were actually out out in the gatehouse. Oh, that's where you yeah. were on rolling around in the. We were rolling around, and I was playing with the dog. <laughs> it was so cute. You know, wanted to go f- play fetch and grab the ball and throw it, and you know, you, I threw it all the way down. It, it ran a half a mile and came back with its tail wagging, happy, wanting to play more. And the owner was like, "What's going on here?" The, the like pet, I, I, pet likes likes the cat more than me. I, mean, I don't blame him. I own your dog now. I own, it's my dog. See so, yeah. <laughs> That's your. So, but that's uh, that was that was uh, 
what's been going on. I'm sorry I missed the last show because I really wanted to talk about that abort. Now I did. Well, great. Good stuff. Thank you, Dana. Perfect. Um, when, are you, um, when are you going back out again? I leave tomorrow morning. Oh. I've been trying to swap this strip. I've been trying and trying and trying and trying yeah. to get rid of it because it's oh. a 6.25 a.m. duty. I mean, that doesn't sound so bad. Why doesn't anyone want it? What's so special uh, about tonight? Because tonight is daylight savings time in the U.S. Uh. of A. And we fast forward an hour. So when I go to sleep at 10 o'clock or 9 o'clock, I lose an hour, so I'm going to be getting up for a 5:25 duty in. Well, it makes me 6:25 duty in, which is going to feel like 5:25, which means I have to leave my house. Uh, let's see if I 4:34. Um, about uh, I have to get out of bed at 3:45 body clock time, which would normally be 4:45, but 3:45 that's going to really hurt. That's good for you, builds character, and now I get to play this. Jeff's pet peeves. <laughs> Another one of my pet peeves. It's not daylight savings time. It's daylight saving time. Okay. Continue. <laughs> A little my OCD. Hey, Jeff. Yeah. Oh, no, you're not I the really only person. Don't, I really don't care. <laughs> I know you don't. And <laughs> oh, you're, you're, just sure. like, you're just like everybody else out there. Like 90% of the population says it wrong. But uh, anyway, so I just thought I'd throw that in there. I just daylight like playing that. Saving time. Yeah, because you're saving daylight. Oh, okay. Now that he's got that sound clip handy, I'm going to see how many other pet peeves of Jess I can. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly where sure. it is. Bottom right-hand corner. Uh, yeah, that's, that, that was funny. Yeah, that's what one of the things Drew said. What, said, I had a lot of pet peeves? <laughs> yeah. He, he said, you played that exact audio. Oh, yeah, I may have, Jeff, actually. Pet peeves. <laughs> what was yeah, he like, talking about? Potable water? <laughs> exactly. Oh, please. Uh, potable. Oh, Audible versus yeah, potable. potable. Yeah, don't get me started. Potable. Yeah, well, that's what he was talking about, something uh, about the potable. You, yeah. you put potable water in your po. You don't know okay. what a po is, do you? No idea. <laughs> no clue. <laughs> yeah, you, you've stumped the uh, Okay, Americans. well, I'll, I'll let Ivor uh, or uh, Captain Nige mm. send in some feedback about pose. Okay. Look forward to that. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I think. All right. Yeah, maybe. Maybe not. (laughs) Maybe. All right. Um, Let's see. I think, uh, well, there are a lot of things to talk about, and I I just don't know who to choose next. So somebody volunteer to, uh, how about Steph? What have you been up to? When did we record a show last? It was uh, last week. (laughs) Last Friday. Fair enough. Last Friday. Well, that was before I, oh, yes. It was before I saw you in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yes. 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 So let's back up because we, we had talked about hey week. we're going to see you tomorrow. Correct. Or whatever. I just yeah. had to remember how much I had to include in this uh, catch up here. So right. um, yeah, let's back up to last weekend when I went down to Atlanta for the weekend. So after work on Friday, kind of packed up my stuff, jumped on a plane, uh, went down. Um, and the reason I was there was. Uh, kind of twofold. One was for um, some of the running stuff that I'm involved with. Atlanta was hosting the U.S. Olympic Team Trials Marathon on the Saturday. So that was really cool to be a spectator for. We um, actually had a nice uh, spot staked out at the um, Ritz Hotel, which has a little second floor restaurant with a little veranda that you can go out on, which was great until um, we kind of developed a little crowd out there and there was only like one door for people to go back and forth between the main restaurant inside and outside. And Saturday in Atlanta last weekend was kind of chilly and very windy. 
um, and the folks dining within the restaurant did not appreciate our uh, going in and out of the <laughs> the one door that only opened right into the main part of the restaurant. So mm. we didn't get to do that for too long, but um, we just you know, kind of left our beers at the bar and then we'd go downstairs because it was a three loop course. So every time the, the like main uh, pack was coming back and forth on the, the course, we'd go out and watch. Um, so that was a lot of fun uh, to see a lot of really fast um, elite athletes. And um, Saturday night, um, the other reason for being down there was the hops in the hangar event at the flight museum. Um, so that was fun. So uh, yeah. Jeff and Stephen Ivy and oh my gosh, who else? My um, one of my running friends, uh, Mike, was able to join us because I had an extra ticket. Um, help me out, Jeff. Who was who all was there? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of that myself. I wish I had thought about this before <laughs> we started recording the show because uh, Pete, Peter, I met. Peter, uh, he yep. was a he flew down from Connecticut. Yes, yes, yes. Um, let's see, Matt. Uh, I met. Uh, he lives in the in the area, I believe, and uh, uh, he just happened to be there and noticed me there and said that he really uh, loves our show, awesome, and loves uh, listening. And I saw him a couple of times. There was a uh, a moment toward the very end before we were about to leave where um, a 76400 pilot for Acme uh, looked over at me and goes, Captain Jeff? And I said, yeah. And he goes, love the love the show. I listened to the show. And I went, oh, oh I, I didn't awesome. even catch his name. I, I don't I'm not even sure that he said what his name was. Mystery, so, mystery. Hello, 767400 guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dispatcher Tom was there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dispatcher Tom uh, and um, his friend from uh, American yeah. Airlines uh, first mm-hmm. officer. I can't remember his name, though. Yeah, uh, the one that spotted name. Steph on a late night flight from Charlotte yes, to uh, yes to to London to London. <laughs> yeah. It's like is Steph going to London. Yeah, that's because Tom yeah. contacted me and said, is, "Yeah, Steph is Steph in London." And I go, well, I don't, I don't I know. Don't think I so. don't think so. She hadn't said anything about it, <laughs> but it's Steph. So who knows? Probably was, and sure was enough, it, it was. Was. Was, it it was. was Randy Robinson. Randy, that sounds about right. Yeah, but mm, yes, maybe you know. Calling someone Randy has quite a different connotation over here. Well, it kind of has that same connotation here as well, but it's kind of an older term that I think the new generation people yeah, not, would go. People aren't using that anymore. What? They would not mean? understand why. She was kind of Randy last night, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, uh, that could be right, I think, maybe. I'm sorry, yeah. I don't know. I'm so terrible with names. Um, but anyway, it was a great time. Lots of good um, beer samples to be had. And Sunday morning, woke up and ran the... Um, so for us non-elite runners, the regular marathon and half marathon and 5K race were happening Sunday morning. And I did that with my my aunt, trying to get her a um, qualifying time for the New York City Marathon. And we kind of came up a little short on the goal. It was a very, I mean, if you've been to Atlanta, you know, it's just kind of these rolling hills. Um, and it's, it's a notoriously difficult place to run some of these races that they have set up because it's just up, down, up, down, relentless. Um so very difficult, but she did a great job. We still got her a personal best time, and it was a really nice day for for running. Um, just kind of hung out the rest of the day and had a super early flight back to Charlotte on Monday morning, like 5.07 departure or something. Um, fortunately, had no problem getting a, a Uber back to the airport and then just went straight to work. And then, oh, there was um, a couple other things happening this past week. I had took a little uh, trip over to to the U.K., 
and I'm not sure if uh, Nick wants to jump in and help me out with, uh, oh my gosh, sorry, I'm distracted by Captain Al. <laughs> Captain Al is up to his shenanigans in our chat room. Uh, yeah. let's, let's talk about Captain Al, shall we? <laughs> let's do that. Yeah, yeah. perfect uh, segue, right? Segway, yeah. So Captain Al had a little birthday this week. Um, 50, 50 years young. So happy birthday, Captain Al. Big happy birthday. Happy birthday. We've got some audio. We do, we do. Should we just play that and then we can talk about it a little more and yeah, how this all came to be? Yeah, we can fill in any gaps. Excellent, excellent. All right, so that. let me push the button here and let's listen to this uh, audio that Nick has supplied. Hi, Jeff. Uh, it's Nick here. Uh, we are in the uh, Mucky Duck, otherwise known as the Golden Pheasant. Uh, and we're just sitting here waiting for an opportunity to uh, head off across to uh, Al's birthday party. Uh, and I thought I would uh, quickly uh, introduce everyone and let them have their piece. And of course, the first is the prettiest, the youngest, and the most travelled. Uh, so Adam is trying to, <laughs> to get a hold of the microphone. It's our lovely Dr. Steph. Hi, Captain Nick. How's it going? It's brilliant. How, how was the journey across? Actually, really not bad at all. Um, yeah, worked yesterday and then... Had a nice flight up to JFK and then another flight over to London Heathrow and was picked up by the aforementioned Adam Spink here. And we took a drive up to here, up to wherever we are now. I don't even... Cheshire? Yeah, thank you. Quite a nice pub, isn't it? It really is. It's it's gorgeous. The uh, accommodations here are very nice and I'm happy to be here. It's going to be a lot of fun tonight, I think. Absolutely. We'll do some more recording from the pub, of course. So uh, the next in line is our wonderful air traffic controller, Adam. Uh, who, Hello, Nick. Hi. Uh, how did the Tesla go? It was fine. Really? Yeah. Did Did your passenger enjoy her journey? On... Uh, you will have to ask her in a, in a minute. Oh, okay. Anyway, she's gonna... the, the journey was exceptional. Was it very green? Yes. In fact, you could say we were going green. You could, today. couldn't you? Yeah. Cue the music. Mm-hmm. Uh, how's things uh, with you? Yeah, uh, very Adam? good. Very good, Nick. Working hard? As always. Just yes. heard that you're not working quite as hard. Um, I was meant to go to Madrid for three days uh, with work for a conference, but um, that's now been cancelled. Ah, no, okay. this is a. I, I, I saw Steph's that from the corner of my eye. Air quotes, air quotes conference. <laughs> this was actually a, a proper conference, unlike the ones that Steph tends to attend. Um, sure. But due to the, the the issues with you know coronavirus and COVID nineteen, that's just been cancelled. Okay. So uh, right. next well, week is a bit uh, is a bit quieter than I planned. Are you, are you actually been in the uh, VCR lately? Yes, I was. Uh, what day is it today? Wednesday. When Monday morning, Tuesday. Oh, I don't know. Either <laughs> yesterday or the day before, I was up in the tower. Um, but it, we've noticed it's even now it's quieter. Oh really? I was going to ask you. Drop in if, traffic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, it's it's definitely. Quieter. To to jump on that, you asked me about my flight over. Um, yeah. A, ve- a noticeably empty flight last night from JFK to Heathrow. Interesting. Yeah. Very. So, so very despite quiet. the fact that there's no huge threat from either country. Uh, not many passengers. No, mm. um, I'm flying out to the states in, in two weeks' time as well, so yeah. I'm half expecting that to be pretty empty. Well, I'm heading well. across uneasy to uh, Hamburg next week, so I'm hoping mm. that will be quiet. Give me a bit of leg room. Uh, how's things in your world, Pip? I'll, I'll put down my beard. <laughs> Sorry, you could have given me <laughs> that some was warning. Well timed, I thought <laughs> that was perfect. Uh, very well, uh, thank you, Nick. Uh, and you're not having a quiet time. No, not necessarily. Uh, all still very, uh, very busy. But it's nice to come up here and, and see uh, you guys. But yes, you, you, yeah. you're keeping busy. <laughs> yes, very busy. Um, 
But of course, I don't know if you've ex- maybe I should explain or someone That'd should explain anyway because they're all wondering what well, the you heck are we're, one of the why are we here. <laughs> of course, we're here to um, surprise and help celebrate the birthday of uh, uh, a friend of ours, my pal, your pal, our pal, Captain Al. Who oh, is damn? I thought it was somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> who is uh, yes is um, celebrating his first half century tomorrow, fifth of March? You expect him to do more than one half century? Remains to be seen, doesn't it? Well, uh, yeah. well, he's managed this far anyway, and I don't think he's going to keel over. Uh, any Let's second ask now, the doctor's opinion. Uh, he seems healthy to me. Yes. Oh well, uh, yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I think I think Steph's looking through beer goggles. <laughs> well, some weeks ago. Uh, Al's lovely wife Nikki contacted me and said she was thinking about throwing together a, a surprise. Would I be interested in coming? Yes, of course. And could I gather some some close friends? So I sent out the message. But all you could find were. Uh... Yeah. Well, yes. So I had to keep going and keep going, and eventually I got three people to <laughs> to answer. No, some of us couldn't make it. Unfortunately, the PTUK guys just couldn't make it work. Unfortunately, so they'll be missed. But I know they send their regards. Um, but us local lads, Nick over here and Adam over here, and of course the legend that Steph has come all the way across the pond just for this brief 24 hours. So anyway, we're, we're, we're going to a restaurant nearby in a, a little while to surprise Al and have a nice dinner with him and his family and, uh, well, yeah, and help excellent. him celebrate Now, of course, we've all bought marvellous birthday presents <laughs> with us for Al, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, small problem there, isn't it? Well, <laughs> explain your problem, then we'll go around the circle. Well, I think our problem is, is fairly similar in that we've all bought very extravagant, expensive and <laughs> yeah, lavish gifts. Um, the problem, though, is that none of them have arrived thanks to Amazon or various postal services around the world. Well, I don't so know if that was entirely true. There's a bit of button pressing. Come on, let's find out what Adam's excuse is. Well, yes, I, I, um, I've ordered multiple gifts, actually, from Amazon, but um, the system says that I never hit the buy it now button. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think there is a system error somewhere. And, um, St- and Stephanie's excuse? I'm just going to say that this must have been... Was this Friday last week? Uh, yes. I, so I had the same problem on Friday oh, last week. Oh, the buy button wasn't so working. Friday was oh, the problem uh, of okay. last week because I had a similar issue where I was reasonably certain that I had indeed pressed that buy it now button. And right, uh, in fact, right. it remained in the shopping basket online. Very poor excuse. And it should be being delivered to my house right now as we speak. So Okay, well, um, that's useful since your house is... It's in Charlotte, in North, Charlotte Carol- North Carolina. South Carolina, okay. actually. Not well, Charlotte, I'm but, sure we can yeah. get Pip to jump in his lemon and yeah. beetle over. Oh, dear. Well, no. the, good, the good news is I will He's be back in, I'll be back over in seven and a half weeks' time, so I will try to arrange Is, to, is Al's yeah. birthday in seven and a half no. weeks' time? Oh, okay. But, right. you know, good things come to those who wait, so <laughs> better, better late than never, absolutely. Brilliant. Now, I hadn't quite finished with Pip. Is there anything else to say from your side of the world, Pip? We should probably say happy birthday to Pip. Oh, should we? Oh, well, that was yesterday. I, I should perhaps give uh, Pip one of uh, Al's presents to make him feel good. Well, which one? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the underpants. Yeah, that's what I thought you were thinking. No, I don't want those. You, oh, you hang on okay. to those. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Well, I'm, I'm sure a few beers. No, we don't need to fine. sing happy birthday. It was a very uh, 
non-important birthday for me yesterday. All right. But, well, uh, yeah. congratulations. Well, thank you very and, much. And uh, you've reached the ripe old age of? 34. 34. Right numbers. Not necessarily the right order. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, 43 is a very good number, being the number of my first Phantom Squadron. So. Oh, well, there we go, then. That's and a good omen. I'm going to leave it with there. Now, we're going to add on the bit from Al. Uh, so I won't hand it back to you quite yet, Jeff. Uh, I'll introduce Al in a moment. Cheers. Al, I can't believe it, mate. Half a century. How's it feel? It feels absolutely incredible. Um, so as you may be able to hear from the ambience, there are quite a few people in the room. So I have my family here and the people that I consider to be my extended family here. And I'm still in shock. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Um, it's a superb cake over there. You've got great big 50s everywhere. Happy birthdays. And uh, how do you feel now that you've cracked it all the way to 50 and you haven't killed yourself? Um, surprised. <laughs> um, secretly impressed. And um, very pleased that I subscribe to the great thing called luck. Oh, that's brutal. I think it's much more than luck, much more than luck. So, uh, have you got much time off to celebrate? I love you too, Al. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, not really. Um, I flew back to the UK yesterday. Um, so I, I slummed it in uh, club class on British Airways via oh, Heathrow. Terrible, poor chap. Um, always a little bit trepidatious going through security at Heathrow because it can be a bit of a bind, but for reasons that I don't entirely understand, the airport was very empty yesterday. <laughs> so, um, uh, well, sat across the table is, is Adam, and... Uh, he may be able to explain why we had such a big slot delay leaving Bucharest yesterday morning. The reason being Heathrow weather when it was Cav OK, so maybe they're missing Adam more than they realised. I'm sure that he was actually working in the visual control room the other day, so that might explain a lot. Yeah, absolutely. But no, um, so I arrived back in the UK yesterday lunchtime. Um, did all of the usual things that you do after a period of time away. Uh, empty your suitcase. Uh, try to establish what's leaked and what hasn't leaked. Uh, do a quick tally to see what you left in the hotel room. Very good. Um, and then just um, settle down to what I thought would be um, a normal few days. And here we are. N Nick has done a marvellous job. Nicky and Pip, of course. Pip was... Our coordinator. <laughs> but Nikki's done a marvellous job, yeah? She has. Uh, in fact, you both have, so I, I'm indebted. Nothing to do with me whatsoever. Well, I might describe it. We've got friends and relatives from all over Wales. That's pretty good going, yeah? It is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great to meet your family. It's great to see you enjoying yourself. Congratulations on your 50th birthday. Thank uh, you very much. Any final words for your podcasting uh, fans um, well hopefully there's another 50 years of podcasting to come and if I make 100 I promise you all I will stop at that point yeah you will be very grateful <laughs> uh, I think your audience uh, will be small enough then not to be of a concern brilliant anyway congratulations and uh, everybody I think we ought to say a big um, something for Al happy birthday happy birthday I thought this was the cue for the ice creams. <laughs> Happy birthday! <Hey. laughs> Brilliant. All the best. Thanks, Al.
and throwing it back to you in the studio, Jeff. <coughs> well, thank you very much, Captain Nick. It sounds like you guys had a great time. So yeah, time. so that was that was quite a lot of that fun. The cake um, was amazing. The cake was incredible. I mean, the cake for the PTUK 300 was incredible. This was similarly... Um, was it done by the same... Design. You know, I don't know. I meant to ask because it, it had similar design features. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, really cool cake. Um, a very interesting um, Airbus A320. Um, yeah, it looks it, like it uh, some... they took a 747 and an A320 and put them together. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but wonderful, wonderful yeah. cake. Um, tasty, too. Um I was reminded by by Pip that I should mention that I think we we gained a new listener when we were at the Golden Pheasant, um, Helena. So if you're listening, welcome to the uh, to the show. Hi, Helena. Um, very nice, sweet lady who joined us for a very long time um, at the pub, mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, the magician at um, at dinner was incredible, like so good, just sleight of hand, card tricks, other stuff, and and we were oh yeah, had really stunned, really. Yeah. And we hadn't had that many beers. No, not really. <laughs> not, not any more than normal. Anyway. I think getting uh, the twenty pound note out from the inside of, of the a lemon, lemon <laughs> uh, that he had to cut open, and there it was, all signed. Um, and I'm, I was just going, oh, "No, you can't do that. That's impossible. <laughs> That's impossible." Mm -hmm. Well, it's magic, so it's possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> and, it's called um, PFM. Yes. And yeah, it was a very, um, it was a lovely trip. I'm glad I had the opportunity to go. So thank you to Pip and Nikki for, for the invite. So Excellent. Mm -hmm. All right. So anything else going on? Like, do you need anything else stuff? Do I need anything? Was there no. something else I was supposed to no, mention? No, no. I'm just wondering uh, before uh, we, uh, I don't know, uh, Nick, is there anything else that uh, you've been up to? Like maybe going into town and seeing a. Oh yeah, play. well that that uh, that party of ours was just fabulous. It was great seeing everybody. Absolutely super. I I love it when Steph just suddenly appears out of the blue. You know, you go what? <laughs> that was fantastic. It really was. That wasn't good. a surprise um, for you, for you. <laughs> it wasn't. I know, but it's still. Just, I'm just going. You really you come over here like for one evening, Steph. Steph. Pretty much every day, um, it's a surprise for Nick. Okay, I know. No. No, it's that whole retirement Every day is a now, new right? day. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the following day after we uh, got back, oh, on the way home, uh, Pip and I uh, stopped off at Jodrell Bank. I thought he just needed some money out of, uh, you know, an ATM, but it turned out it was a radio telescope he wanted to show me. Uh, and uh, Jodrell Bank uh, is the home of the Lovell Telescope, which sort of stretch, stretches back to the 50s. And uh, we had a lovely couple of hours wandering around. It's an amazing piece of kit. And they were actually moving it while we were in the perimeter road that goes right around it. And uh, it's huge. And it, it looks like something out of Star Wars. You can see on the right-hand side there's a, there's a like a four-story um, cabin there with little windows in it you kind of expect to see stormtroopers in there but no it was <laughs> kind of looks like the death star actually <laughs> it does it does it was certainly like that thing that fired the rays that blew up all the planet. anyway it's just superb um and uh, we went indoors and chatted to uh, uh a, a uh, 
university uh, graduate who was working there, uh, just about to start his doctorate, uh, and was uh, showing us uh, the traces coming off. Uh, they've got a display there with the actual, um, what the telescope is receiving at the time, talking to us about pulsars and explaining all that stuff, and and really fascinating. And Pip's knowledge is brilliant as well, so he was a, a great guide. So what, what, what did you just say? Pip's knowledge on uh, astronomy is very impressive. Wow. I, I don't know about his aviation knowledge. I can't, <laughs> can't speak for that. But, yeah, well, he does fly 11, so what do you expect? Um, but, uh, yeah, it was absolutely lovely. And then uh, the following day was uh, my wife's birthday. So uh, we uh, um, had a nice uh, wander into the local pub, had a lunch, late lunch, uh, jumped on the train, went into town, that's London, uh, and uh, saw a show uh, which uh, Steph recommended, uh, Hamilton. Uh, Steph, we were stage center five rows back. It yeah, was I saw the, your, your picture was, you had yeah, great seats. It, it was, was the wonderful. perfect place to be, and I loved the show, absolutely great. The only dampener was uh, we came out at about half ten to just wander 100 yards, really, to the station, get on the train, to discover that the uh, signaling system on our line that we needed to go home was down, and that they were saying delays, 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 and after about I don't know, two or three hours waiting at the station, we eventually managed to grab a train that was sort of going in our direction. Uh, and when we got off, we were thinking, oh, geez, it's like two in the morning. What are we going to do now? Um, they were they they got things organized extremely well. All the passengers were coming off. They had a fleet of taxis. They were just handing out chits which you just gave to the taxi driver, and he drove you home. So we ended up uh, very happily home, but it was a very late night in bed by three, so I'm a little bit dopey this morning. Um, anyway, it was a really worthwhile show. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Nothing too much on the aviation side, other, of course, than seeing Al. And talking of Al, uh, you know, the, the good comes with the bad, doesn't it? One moment you're enjoying a fabulous uh, birthday and celebrating uh, with your aviation friends and family and then of course it turns out that uh, Wiz has been suffering from uh, things that a lot of airlines have been uh, low uh, loads and they've decided to um, cut some of their services back and I think partly because Al is I, yeah, I think I'm right in saying this uh, he's a, a contract pilot rather than a permanent employee uh, he, of course, is going to be one of the first in the queue to be uh, asked to stand down. So he's been, I think you guys call it a furlough. Uh, he's mm -hmm. been furloughed from mm -hmm. uh, Wiz uh, until the beginning of June, I think. Uh, so hmm, not good from uh, Al's point of view. He's he uh, Just in you know Al's brilliant way of handling this sort of thing, he has uh, just taken it on the chin. He's looking, he's very upbeat about it. He said, that's the whole point of uh, putting away uh, a little nest egg so that I can cope with these sort of things. So, um, you know, and uh, I just I just feel for him because um, after Monarch going down and, uh, you know, in this current climate, you were hoping that um, uh, Wiz was uh, going to do, or his airline, I shouldn't really say which one, because he'll probably end up working for him again, hopefully in only a few months, uh, uh, having to draw their horns in, and uh, it's put him in a very difficult situation for a while. Great thing is, of course, Al has uh, uh, branched out, and he's got his uh, uh, 
instructor's training category. So uh, uh, I'm not sure if he's a TRE uh, and an IRE, but uh, certainly he's a training instructor. Uh, and um, he may be able to find some work on the side. But anyway, um, uh, my personal, I'm sure from Everest uh, on the show, uh, uh, hopes that you get uh, back into full employment as soon as you can, Al, and that everything works out for you. Uh, so all the best there. Yeah. And all the best to any of our listeners who are being affected by uh, the current uh, worldwide sort of it's not really a pandemic yet but it's certainly affected the aviation industry well, big time. it's affecting a lot of industries like we were saying earlier so you know like you said our thoughts with everyone who's potentially being affected in one way or another from all of this so absolutely pass quickly don't you Absolutely. think the media is taking this and blowing it way out of perspective? Oh, that could be an entire podcast for me about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Way. I mean, it's not, I it's not being things. helpful at all. That's for sure. No, 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 no. no. They're, they're just being. Media and social media and just the way that just, news travels and spreads these days. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible. Just looking for ratings, just looking to make money. Then that's what they're doing. And they're creating this worldwide panic, worldwide panic over something that's really not even that big. Well, I mean, to be fair, I think there's precautions to take and things to do to be sensible about all of it. Um, and good information is helpful with that. But when you're just, um, yeah, there's a lot of, of fear fair, and unknowns that go along with it. And, and that leads to misinformation and, and a lot of things getting snowballed and blown out of proportion where perhaps they should have been. So that's just my take for now. I was thinking to myself uh, a couple of days ago, uh, especially uh, when you walk into a public men's room and you see a lot more people than you normally see washing, washing their hands. Their hands. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking, yes, you should be doing this all the time. Uh, but uh, And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'll bet, I'll wager, I'm not a betting man really, but I would put money on this one, that our normal seasonal flu outbreak that we have every year, influenza, is going to be not quite so bad as it's been in previous years because people are doing what they should have always been doing, washing their <laughs> hands and hygiene. having good basic hygiene. Yes. Wouldn't you think? I mean, I, I think that's, yeah, I bet I'll be right about that. And you make, you make fun of me putting a, uh, uh, a quote unquote condom, which it's really not a condom, but uh, it's something over my remote control in the, um, in the ho hotel room. You make fun of me and, and I'm not overly zealot about doing things, but, you know, how many times you go into the bathroom, you see people not washing their hands. And this is in public. Mm -hmm. So you can only imagine what people are doing in their hotel rooms, not in public view. Mm -hmm. So I'm, you know, I, I've always been that way. Yeah. So you always made fun of me, but I'm, you know, I, I like washing my hands. Because I'm not making I like fun of you, Dana. I'm shaming I'm, you. I'm making fun of you. Yeah, I know. You, <laughs> I know you guys always were. Always were. That's all right. I, it, it just goes to show you that, you know, that's why I don't get sick that much because I do. Yeah, yeah the argument can be made that uh, the opposite is true as well because we are exposing ourselves to a lot more germs and our bodies are building up the immunities to fight things and. You know, I, I would listen to somebody the other day on another podcast say that or, or yeah, it was well, anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's not important where I heard this, but uh, the guy is a nail biter and uh, his doctor said, you're probably a, or I don't know who he was talking to. He said, you're probably a pretty healthy person, aren't you? And he goes, yeah, I hardly ever get sick. And he goes, yeah, because you're like constantly like the little micro germs and things mm -hmm. and ingesting them and your body is mm -hmm. going, oh, OK. Well, I you see. know, they've actually 
this has come out in some of the, the actual scientific stuff regarding um, coronavirus, to bring it back to that. Mm-hmm. Um, they've, they've definitely noticed that uh, young kids and children um, seem to have a much less severe illness in response to um, this infection. And they postulate it because so coronavirus is this family of viruses. And many of the common cold type illnesses that we get are related to a coronavirus of one type or another, not the specific one, but there's many coronaviruses out there. Um, And it's very common um, for children to have these coronaviruses and get common colds and upper respiratory illnesses. But the thought is because they are more recently exposed to or have more recently had an, uh, an immune response to one of these coronaviruses than an adult has who may have had it years and years and years ago. They actually have some sort of um, mild immunity to other types of coronaviruses, including um, the one causing COVID-19. So that's why their illnesses are less severe. What is what is it? Uh, what does Corona really mean other than a Crown. very cheap Mexican beer? crown <laughs> well i know a crown but i mean why is it why are these uh, classes yeah. this category called crown virus? um it might have to do with the way that the virus actually looks um, like the, the structure the, the of the structure molecule of okay. yeah i'm not 100 percent certain but okay. yeah it does refer to curious yeah. okay well uh, excellent and uh anything uh, coming up in the future for you nick uh, in the between now and the next show no sir no right. we can move straight on to you Okay. Well, uh, the first thing I, I have to say is that uh, I really enjoyed uh, meeting up with Steph and uh, Stephen and all the others that we saw at the Hops in the Hangar event at uh, the Delta Flight Museum, and uh, that was a that was a good time. And uh, let's see, I've been doing a lot. Of, I had the whole week off. I think I mentioned it on the last show. I've been doing a lot of singing uh, for mostly funerals and other special events. Um, but uh, what else? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I guess that's it. Um, flew a trip this week, uh, Wednesday through Friday, and I was um, planning on having basically a meetup every single day of my three-day trip. And guess what? Every single one of those failed. <laughs> I was going to meet Perry Heyman uh, before I actually set off on my first flight on Wednesday morning, very early Wednesday morning. Both of us had issues with uh, getting through the security process. I was uh, I was chosen for extra screening, uh, and I guess the um, line for the uh, TSA pre-line was kind of very, very long Monday morning, and that uh, resulted in Perry taking a little extra time to get through that. And then finally, I got to the jet and started in my normal you know, routine and uh, – so yeah, we we missed each other. So sorry, Perry. Um, he was heading from Atlanta to Burbank, I think, for for work. Uh, so um, next time, we said, you know, we'll we'll try this again at another time. The next day, I was going to have um, lunch with uh, Stefan, uh, Professor Stefan Balmer at uh, Syracuse University, and we were planning on having a late lunch together and. He uh, texted me in the van from the airport to the hotel saying that he uh, has caught the cold and didn't want to spread any of his germs, especially now when everybody is super, you know, sensitive about people walking around sneezing and, you know, that kind of thing. So he uh, he said, I'm going to have to uh, bow out of our lunch today. And so failure number two. And then uh, at the end of my trip yesterday on Friday. I was planning on hanging around the uh, Atlanta airport waiting for Colonel Jeff to arrive. From, and he is in the middle of a trip, and he was coming in from Los Angeles. 
And uh, then I was going to ride over with him over to his layover hotel. We were going to have uh, dinner. And unfortunately, I guess there was some kind of a uh, issue, a technical issue with the uh, jet that he was supposed to fly to um, to Atlanta. I think a flight data recorder, some kind of a fault that they had to fix. And so he was running late and he just said, you know, just go ahead and head home because I'm. it's going to be a very short layover for me. In fact, I think they had to extend, uh, had to delay the flight this morning uh, out of Atlanta because of the fact that he arrived not in enough time to have a legal break. So, uh, so sorry I didn't get to see you, Colonel Jeff. So three three attempts, but uh, none of them happened. So that's it. Ah, let's see. What else? I don't think there was anything else that's going on. a bit on. like your flying career, isn't it? Very you much. Very A lot of failures. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, pretty much the story of my life. Uh, <laughs> like this podcast, for instance. What a huge failure this has been. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. You must feel so sad. I am. Very, very sad. So when I was in, the one of the good things that happened to me uh, during this trip, um, well, let's see, I guess it was um, maybe about a week ago. I'm not sure of the exact timing, but a couple of weeks ago, I contacted Rick and said, you know, um, we're planning on doing a show. I think it was uh, last week we were planning on doing a, a two-parter. And uh, like a Thursday and a Friday, and then we ended up just doing one one show. But anyway, at the time, I thought we were going to do two parts, and I thought I thought, well, maybe there's an opportunity for Rick to join us. So I contacted him, and he said, "No, I'm in the middle of uh, upgrade training at Acme Giant." And uh, he said, "I can't do that, but uh, the following week I might I might be available one of those days." And so I followed up with that and said. Um, planning on doing the show on Saturday morning right now. Uh, but if that doesn't work for you, let me know when you are available and then we'll just do uh, like a, another two-parter show. And uh, he said uh, Thursday night would work for him. He was going to be out of the Sims around eight, uh, six o'clock. And I thought, okay, we can do that. And so um, initially had set that up as the part one of this show, uh, but then and decided to make this a, a special episode because while we were doing the show, he announced, um, and this was a surprise to me, that he was going to be rejoining the show on a on a full time basis, a permanent um, co host. You know, he's always been um, a co host, and we've always kind of included him in communications and everything else. And I'd always been hopeful that he would, uh, at some point, uh, when he got a little settled down in his uh, his new flying career, that he would uh, be able to rejoin the show. But uh, I wasn't sure when, you know, if and when that would ever happen. But I was so excited when he said, uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward to getting back into the routine of doing the APG show. So if you want to hear that conversation and kind of uh, get caught up on what uh, Rick has been doing these last four years, I think it was about May or late, late spring of 2016, when uh, we we didn't see him on the show anymore. And uh, again, all the details about why it was so difficult for him to be on the show with us, uh, he talks about on the uh, special episode, which I hope to have published soon. Um, and uh, so information about that uh, on our website and the YouTube channel and all that kind of stuff is coming soon. Woohoo. I'm super yeah. excited. Yeah, it was very, yeah, uh, it very exciting. So I know a lot of you out there listening um, really have missed because uh, we uh, uh, every it seems like every month or two we get somebody saying yeah where where's Rick where 
why is he not on the show? Where, when is he coming back? And it was always like, uh, well, I don't know. We're, we're hopeful. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it is great news. So uh, he couldn't join us today because, as I said, he's still uh, in the middle of his training to upgrade a 767 captain for Acme Giant. And uh, he is in the box, as we say, all day long today. So he couldn't make uh, the show today. So that was the exciting news, I think, for the uh, entire APG community uh, that happened this week. Yeah, definitely. Oh, good stuff. And we talked about birthdays, didn't we? We talked about Pilot Pip and we talked about Captain Al and we have to uh, mention another very, very important person on the APG crew. In fact, her name, Liz Piper, our producer director in Toronto. It is her birthday today. And I think she said she's happy birthday, birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy, happy birthday, dear Liz. Happy birthday to you. Show off. And yeah, well, you know, <laughs> right, I can jump right in there and make you feel much better about your singing. <laughs> I had, but I, won't. I, I wanted to do the like all of us singing together, but I'm glad we did it just like that because it would have been a huge mess because there is some latency involved in doing the stream and it would it would sound horrible. But uh, that was perfect. So uh, thank you for starting that off, Dana. I was just about to do the same thing, but I'm glad you jumped in and did it. Thank you. That's yeah. fun. All right. So, Liz, happy birthday. Yeah, I think she has a big day planned. All right. All right. You mean you get a, a bigger day on your birthday than normal days? Yes, I you didn't do. Know that. Yes. yes. Wow. And you it's know what? Clever. It's your it's your own personal holiday. And <laughs> you know the the sun is going to be around longer today than it was yesterday. Mm, That's this is true. I don't ever. That is and true. Tomorrow, By a couple of minutes. And the next day. Well, and the next let's day. don't. don't oh, sorry. It's just because of her birthday it, stuff. Time. Okay. Yeah. Science, don't 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 bring up stuff like that. You know, See, because the the Earth is tilted on its axis, and uh, as it moves around the sun, it. it sorry. I'll very stop. very nice. She has a prop uh, behind her, an actual globe. I do. It's not very accurate. So no, it was like five dollars. Well, neither are we. Neither are we. <laughs> See, it's, it's at least fifty percent. <laughs> yes, I've got my globe too. See, all it's right. not accurate at all either. All right. Well, you know what. It's now time for us to move to this part of the show, the Coffee Fund, which is your way to support the show in a financial way. Oops. Sorry. (laughs) I've forgotten. I'm supposed to wait until this part of the the clip to start talking. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Wow, I was way off on that one, wasn't I? Anyway, the Coffee Fund, as I said. Uh, for those who want to support the show financially, uh, you can take part in our Coffee Fund cadre or Coffee Bar Club or whatever you want to call it. Uh, we call it uh, just a great group of people who are donating to the show. A couple different ways to do it. One is the Coffee Fund Classic Method, and since the last episode, we have a couple of recurring contributions from Alistair Kerr and Randolph Ackerman. And we had a contribution also from Etienne Bouchard. Uh, The other way to do it is to become a patron of the show via Patreon. And we have two new patrons. And uh, the first, uh, Stuart McCutcheon. He uh, became a producer of the show. Thank you very much, Stuart. Welcome to the, um, the patrons. 
and had to play a little fanfare there for this one. Oops, I didn't expect that to make the Coffee Fun music <laughs> disappear. Oh, well, uh, that uh, brass fanfare is because we have a new, we have like four different tiers, levels of uh, support via Patreon. The top one is a very, very exclusive group. It's a small group of folks. And uh, in fact, um, there are really two active um senior executive producers and uh they really give a lot of money uh to or con- contribute a lot to our show and uh, we have a new one who has joined that level and his name is fitz james muscadin and uh, fitz james is now a senior executive and Fantastic. we need to play thank the you. applause thank and you very so much. much thank you thank you yes thank you. so um in, in i yeah, you. Uh, we've mentioned his name in the past because he has sent us um, feedback. I think he said he was, he's been listening to the show since 2015, I believe. So he's a longtime uh, listener, and he's been supporting us by sending us feedback and that type of thing. And now he's supporting us financially. So thank you so much, Fitz James. Uh, we do appreciate it. And if you're wondering about you know what we do with this coffee fund money, um, it basically pays my electricity and my get. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we use that money for supporting uh, all the different things that we have to pay for on a monthly basis. Uh, the website. The uh, server, we have, uh, yes, Dana, uh, Dana's holding up some um, audio equipment that we have. Uh, you know, everybody has some audio equipment, so equipment costs. And uh, we have, um, um, yes, like uh, I th- Nick is holding his hand like he's about to shoot himself. It's okay. <laughs> don't, it's okay. You don't have to. Um, well, no, it's uh, some ear earbuds so in, in so your bad. monitors that uh, that he uh, just uh, re- received. Anyway, that sort of thing. We also have uh, the files that we serve to everybody that downloads the show. That's an expense as well. Uh, we have very long shows, and we do it four or five times a month. So uh, it's a it, we have like the biggest category uh, from the uh, the server for the, uh, the media files, and uh, also. Last but not least, uh, we do a lot of meetups around the world, especially every year we have a big meetup, and uh, the Coffee Fund really goes a long way toward helping support that as well. So thank you, everybody, for supporting the show that way. And if you're interested in joining that great group of people, head over to AirlinePilotGuide.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did, and we will too. All right. Without further ado... Oh, thank you, Liz, our producer-director. She's on on the ball here. She mentioned and reminded to me that we do have some special feedback from Matt from the A320 podcast. And uh, let me see. I'm going to go ahead and do this sharing thing again so we can watch the video together. And here we go. Hi. Matt from the A320 podcast here. I just wanted to send you a quick message to say what a great job you're all doing, but in particular I wanted to comment on the plane tales in the last episode. I listened to it driving home from work, and Captain Nick, your delivery was so gripping that despite having just done a long two sector late, I had to sit in the car on my driveway at 1.30 in the morning for an extra 10 minutes because I couldn't go into the house until I'd heard the ending. 
I've since recalled the tale to several people at a much lower standard than yourself, of course, and I've advised them to listen to the full dramatic version here on APG. Anyway, that was all I wanted to say for now, so keep up the good work as always, and until next time, fly safe. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, it was very nice, wasn't that? Nice thing to say. Very nice. I might point out that uh, I'm doing a short uh, plane tale for their 100th show, which is coming up shortly. I hope I can get it out in time. Wow, 100 episodes already, huh? Yeah, they, they uh, said, oh, any chance you could? So uh, I'm looking for um, some information about the A320 to do a little A320 um, plane tale. Excellent. Nice. That'll be fun to hear. Yeah. And the uh, Steph, the answer Sorry. is no. Good. Thank you. I appreciate you. <laughs> and the question was, is it too early for a beer? <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's the weekend. And That's right. I was just getting an early start on daylight saving time. That's okay. You can really say, tomorrow say however you want. Time, uh, I think I go back and forth between the two, to be perfectly honest. I don't yeah. really think about it too much. Um, but this time tomorrow will be an hour later. So it's almost noon, really. That's right. And uh, it's it's well into the afternoon hours in the UK. So This is true. No, and actually, I mean, I was on actually, that time clock earlier. Actually, tomorrow will be more like 9.30. No, spring forward. Well, that's right. I don't think it falls back. <laughs> oh, well. I, no, I'm, I'm being, to, I'm being like wishful to, for tomorrow morning. Would you like a wake-up call to make sure that you get to your flight on the, at the correct time in the morning? I would say. Because uh, I would. No. <laughs> no, no. Don't call me. Don't call me. Okay, here we go with one of the best parts of the show, your feedback. Captain, incoming message. Thank you very much. So, let's start off with the first item in the feedback folder from Tim. He said, hi, all y'all APG folks. Looks like SFO. Is this Tim Van, Van Ram that we get getting it from? Let's see. Let me mm. double check. Yep, it is. You know that guy, Tim Van Ram? I've heard of him. Yeah. Uh, looks like SFO uh, just opened a new sky deck to view arrivals and departures of aircraft. See the link below from the San Francisco Chronicle. And so we uh, have taken a look at the San Francisco Chronicle's sfgate.com um, article about the new spectacular outdoor observation deck. And if you want to check it out, it'll be in the show notes as well. And uh, let's see, they will open the Sky Terrace, a new public outdoor observation deck atop Terminal 2. So I guess it's now open. What's most unusual about this perch is that visitors do not need airline tickets or boarding passes to take in the superb airfield views. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a, that's great, actually. Access to the bright indoor-outdoor space is before security. Plane spotters will delight in the terrace's location, peering right over the spot on runways where jumbo jets gain enough momentum to lift off during SF Gate's exclusive preview of the space. At around noon Tuesday, we watched a Cathay Pacific A350 roar off to Hong Kong, a Qantas 787 Dreamliner arriving from Sydney, and Boeing 777s from United, Korean Air, and Japan Airlines lumber through. There's enough room up there for 241 people. Hmm. Meetup, perhaps. Mm, um, I like how you think. Yeah, but not two hundred and forty-two. So whoever is late to the party is going to have to. Yeah, you're going to have to. Sorry. 
Very Maybe. good. <laughs> Uh, all of whom must submit to a screening process, a quick walk through a magnetometer. But the normal TSA restrictions on liquids and gels do not apply. So bring all your liquids and gels. Uh, there are several benches and chairs made of Australian jarra wood. Yeah, jarra. It's a, it's a beautiful Australian hardwood, uh, a red uh, color, gorgeous red color, that if you leave it uh, untreated, uh, it, it lasts for decades and it turns a fabulous silver so it's really a very very attractive wood and uh, is much used it used to in the old days um form all the sleepers for the railways in india and even paved the road in piccadilly in london famous wood Mm. wow well i mean i always appreciate good wood uh, also, uh, I'm sorry. That's what she said. Yeah, it's it probably turned silver in your you. case, though, has it? I, I think you're more envious, Jeff, at your age. <laughs> nah. Uh, let's see. The uh, space will be open. From, moving on. Uh, the space will be open from 7 a.m. until 10 p.m. every day. The entrance is behind the Starbucks and Terminal 2. Blah, 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 blah. Visitors are allowed to bring food and drink, but the only nearby outlet is Starbucks and eventually a cafe. Smoking is, of course, verboten. I guess we are talking to our German uh, viewers and listeners now. uh, With staff trained to put a stop to any attempts at lighting up. (laughs) Oh, really? They had to train the staff. Yeah, yeah, they're just going to dump a bucket of water on your head if you're. (laughs) Highly trained staff. Yeah, so I guess it has a 1,460-square-foot outdoor terrace surrounded by 20 bird-proof glass panels, 10.5 feet high. Bird-proof. Wow. That's pretty thick to be (laughs) (laughs) bird-proof. Not bird-poop-proof, but just bird-proof. It doesn't prevent the birds from flying on the inside of that outdoor area. Yeah, you're right. These glass panels cost $7,500 each. Oh. Anyway, if you want to read more about the Sky Terrace, uh, please check it out in the show notes. Thank you, Tim, for uh, sending us that feedback regarding the new uh, observation deck. Really, really All beautiful. All I can say deck. is I hope they keep the glass clean because nothing worse than trying to get up there. You've got your camera gear and there's a filthy sheet of glass between you and your Someone's thing. been touching all yeah, the all glass the kid, panels. Yeah, Noses up against wipe, the... Yeah. Coronavirus just spread all over the place. That's a mess. Petri dish. Yes. Oh, Petri. No, that's Atlanta. (laughs) Okay. That's true. Um, Moving on to uh, the second item in our feedback folder from Sasha. Um, Bombardier is out of commercial aviation with plans to sell the C-Series steak. Uh, woke up at the end of my night shift this morning to this breaking news waiting on my phone. This doesn't leave us with much in the way of aircraft manufacturers here. Fortunately, we still have Viking Air here in British Columbia. And uh, I love Sasha's name, Sasha Beer. Wouldn't it mm-hmm. be great to have a last name Beer? Um, this is, no, I, I'd heard that uh, Bombardier, uh, looking at this article now uh, from uh, ctvnews.ca, uh, Bombardier selling its remaining stake in the A220 jetliner program, marking the end of its failed bid to take on the commercial aircraft duopoly of Airbus and Boeing Co. I just wanted to read that sentence because I like the word duopoly. Um, so 
especially uh, speaking of duopoly, that music that you had in the background of the of your um, meetup in uh, for Captain L, Nick. Um, that band, that blues band that was playing in the background, was pretty good. Did did you? Uh, get to sit around and listen to them play uh, a lot while you were yeah, there? Yeah, and we had to ask them to put a special happy birthday version on when Al was there. In fact, they, we took them with us from the hotel. I noticed that. To the restaurant. To the restaurant. You <laughs> noticed yeah. that? Yeah. yeah. I thought it was good. Very cool. I mean, it was they very were very seamless. accommodating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were. Anyway, um, getting back to <laughs> Bombardier or Bombardier. <laughs> Bombardier. What, what was it? Um, bombardier. Bombardier. There we go. Bombardier. Bombardier. Pilot to Bombardier. Um, I was kind of surprised because I thought, well, what about the CRJs? I mean, that's commercial aviation. But apparently, somehow I missed this. They they sold that division of the company to somebody a, a while back. I'm not sure how long ago. So they are truly the only airplanes I guess they're going to be making now are the, um, the biz jets that they, uh, the, which is a really good business for them. The, uh, the, uh, what do we call them? Corporate jets, business jets, the, um, challenger series of, of airplanes. So, uh, yeah. And I guess they're also into all kinds of different things like, uh, trains and other heavy industry. I'm not sure about they all yeah, I guess they sold the uh, train division as well. Now I'm reading this article more closely. So uh, I don't know. What do you all think about that in Canada? You're probably thinking this is not a good thing, right? Because uh, I would imagine that they have supplied a lot of jobs. And now that they're selling off all this stuff, it's... it's well, uh, they don't actually close them down, will they? They'll just be under different management. I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, near the end of this article, it does say that they updated their financial guidance, providing revenue from continuing operations, uh, or projecting, excuse me, that revenue from continuing operations will grow to about U.S. $15 billion from $13.7 billion. So oh. what they are focusing on has um, apparently still been good for business. Now, I heard that that uh, C-Series just about broke the company. Um, it was a, mm. a very, very difficult thing they had to work through but you know it, be, it became successful toward the end with loans from the government and such but um you know i guess they're deciding let's just focus on what we do really well which is make those uh, business jets so um yeah great That's well the market seems to like the uh, plans because the shares closed up 10 cents mm-hmm. excellent i mean i did skip over a bunch of stuff that was not so rosy for uh, financial projections but Mm-hmm. At least for what they're focusing on, it sounds like it's the right thing to be focusing on for them still. Well, that's, uh, I guess, good news then. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you, Sasha. Um, Steve from Pittsburgh here, he says, um, love your show. Been listening for a few months now, and it's been bringing new fire to the passion I've had for planes and aviation since I was a kid. I just finished episode 411 which featured a discussion of least favorite planes everyone had flown on and featured some hate for the mad dog in the article that was cited to begin the conversation. They're fine airplanes, and the hate is undeserved. Yes. Thank you, Steve. I've had many good flights on MD-80s, never a bad experience, and almost always choose a seat in the back near the engine so I can hear that wonderful roar. Wow, now I'm starting to wonder if Steve might have suffered from some kind of a psychological disorder. That's a really noisy place to be in the airplane, Steve. Anyway, Very noisy. Yeah. Not only uh, that, but that's where they recruit you to help shovel the coal, I think. That is true. Uh, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. and, and you, you get the stuff all over you. Yeah, it's kind just of a, soot and, yeah. <laughs> and black lung disease. That's another <laughs> thing you have to think about. Yeah. 
Uh, back to Steve's note. On the note of Mad Dogs and my interest in flying that I had since childhood, I finally remember waiting to board a flight when I was about five years old or so and seeing one of the pilots hanging out in the gate area. My dad asked if I wanted to say hello to him, and of course I did. I asked him if the plane we were flying on was a Boeing, was a Boeing, and he replied that it was actually a McDonnell Douglas, which he liked to call the Reynolds Wrap Rocket. I was invited to visit the cockpit before we departed and got myself a set of plastic wings, though many of them were still metal in those days, and while growing up, I did get many. Never heard of the airplane referred to as a Reynolds Wrap rocket, I guess because it's a long, skinny tube, perhaps? I don't know. Mm. Anyway, I digress. I'm writing to share the story of my most memorable set of flights ever, which included some time on the MD-80 series. About 10 years ago, I booked a trip to Las Vegas. While we did already have direct flights there from my home in Pittsburgh, I chose to take the long way so I could experience flying on a few specific aircraft. Yes, he's a true av geek, I can see. The first leg of the trip from Pittsburgh to Minneapolis-St. Paul on Delta Airlines was not on a Mad Dog, but instead its ancestor, the DC-9. This was just before Delta retired the last of the 30-series DC-9s that they had inherited from Northwest. I chose a seat way in the back, next, right next to the starboard engine, but being that the DC-9 used the original JT-8D engines instead of the quieter, and he goes, ha, <laughs> 200 series JT-8Ds, the wonderful roar was more of a scream. The plane was impeccably maintained and despite being 41 years old at the time was nearly indistinguishable inside from any of the more modern birds in the fleet. To all the other people on board, this was just another ordinary flight and they had no idea how special of an experience it was to fly in this plane. I never did put my headphones on and I instead spent the entire flight just listening to the roar of the engines and the whir, whir of the hydraulics. I knew I'd never get an experience like that again, so I made the most of it. The second leg of the trip was a 757 from Minneapolis-St. Paul to Las Vegas. This was my first time on a 75, and I felt like riding a hot rod among airliner, airliners as it leapt from the runway at incredible speed. The flight was silky smooth and quiet, unlike the DC-9. For the trip home, I'd booked with American Airlines connecting through Dallas-Fort Worth. Both flights were to be operated by MD-82s. I'd selected my customary seat in the back for both legs, and on the first flight noted how different the engine sounded compared to the DC-9. While waiting for my connection in Dallas-Fort Worth, the gate agent was attempting to accommodate a family flying standby and asked if I'd be willing to change seats so that they could sit together. I accepted, and they moved me to first class. The first-class seats on the Mad Dog were an older-style design like you'd find in the 1980s, and sitting there felt like relaxing in a giant, soft, lazy boy recliner. While lacking the amenities of a modern lie-flat seat, the softness and warmth couldn't be beat. In contrast to the rear of the plane, the front of the Mad Dog was unbelievably quiet, possibly the quietest flight I've ever been on. With its old interior, this aircraft still had a larger galley up front, and imagine my surprise when I started to notice the smell of freshly baked cookies shortly after takeoff. Shortly, the flight attendants came around with snack service, and while it was nice to get the big bag of pretzels, and he puts big in capital letters, a big bag of pretzels, and a beer at no charge, the still warm chocolate chip cookies were unforgettable. Unforgettable. That's what they were. As I was walking my dog one day last year, I watched an American Airlines Mad Dog pass overhead on its way to land at Pittsburgh. This was one of its very last flights as the fleet was retired only a few days later. 
I'll never forget those flights from the wonderful planes I got to fly on to the excellent customer service. With the fleets and service levels changing in modern times, it's something I'll never get to experience again. Thanks again for the great show, and I'll be, it'll be a sad day when the last of those mad dogs are gone. P.S. I'd love to meet you guys for IPAs in Pittsburgh if you end up in the area, even if it's just a layover. Pitt has a wonderful new program where non-ticketed individuals are allowed to enter the terminal. But in that case, I'd be the only one allowed to enjoy the IPA. And luckily for a geek like me, my office is a half mile as the crow flies, or should I say as the mad dog flies, from the threshold of Pitt's Runway 28 Center. I see on the calendar that anyone is due here. I'll... Oh, if I see on the calendar that any if anyone is due here, I'll be sure to ask which flight number so I can grab a picture of you in flight. Most of the time I get to watch everyone land, but I'm lucky that, uh, if I'm lucky, the wind changes direction and I'm treated to a parade of planes taking off just a couple of hundred feet overhead. Thanks again, Steve. Well, Steve, uh, maybe you were not a listener back in, what was that, 2017, I think? We had our big meet up at the wings over Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, so a few few years back, a bunch of APGers were hanging out at uh, Pitt and enjoying camaraderie and uh, beer and other and airplanes. Airplanes, yeah, that, there was that. Great air show, by the way. Oh, Fantastic. yeah, it was wonderful. That was wonderful. Yeah. So, um, man, too bad you weren't listening back then because you could have joined us for all that. Hopefully we'll get to do that again sometime at Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. but... Um, not sure when they're going to have another air show no, like that. No, it's not like an annual thing. It seems like it's a... Well, we need Rick to get posted back there so he can invite us. Exactly. That's right. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Um, continuing with our feedback, um, this is from a humble listener. Oh, we haven't got any of those, have we? I know. Well, we have one now. No, right. Okay. His name is Donnie. Humble or a listener? <laughs> 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 We have two listeners, Dana. Come on. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Donnie. I wrote to the team back in October about my move to Dublin. I have now got set up and am preparing to hit the local aerodrome, recommencing my PPL. To clarify, my ultimate goal is airline pilot and have set myself an ambitious 10-year plan. I never got to know the previous flight instructors at my old school all that well and was wondering if they are ever talking about the guy that suddenly stopped flying. Is there a custom slash formality to inform your previous school that you have moved, especially if you're a member? Many thanks. Again, a humble listener. Hmm. What do you guys think? Uh, you you. Uh, I don't know that. There, I mean, at least not here. I don't think there's any sort of uh, formal customary i guess it would just depend on more if you are a member and you're paying dues and whatnot you probably want to inform them that you are no longer going to be paying dues especially if you have something set up on auto pay um more for your sake than theirs perhaps yeah um you know if you were really close to the flight instructors like if you had to form friendships with them certainly i think you would let them know where you were going and they may want to continue to um, have updates on on your progress because they've they've had a share in getting you to that point as well. Um, but if you really didn't know them that well and it was only a few flights here and there, and uh, I, I don't know that I'd worry about it too much. To be honest, they they may or may not wonder about you from time to time, but I, I don't think it's a big deal. Dan, I never worry about my old students. <laughs> you never did when you were when they were your students. Yeah, except when they tried to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's when you worry about them. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but how about you, Dana? Yeah, no, I kind of agree with Dr. Steph. I mean, basically when, when you're gone, you're gone unless you develop all those friendships and, yeah. you know, it's not, not uh, uncommon for me to wonder where some of my old flight instructors are. Um, but I don't know, you know, except for my fraternity, which I, you know, went to a college for aviation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, obviously had a relationship with with the flight school and, and with the people in, in the community. So that's a little bit different, I think, than if you're just going to local FBO. I would imagine yeah. his concern might be, and it would be my concern as well, that if I just left without telling anybody why, they might think that it was something that they did to force me to leave and, you know, go. So I think it, that maybe depends on the size of the flight school. Yeah. Um, if it's a very small place, you it probably would be a good courtesy to let them know, hey, I'm not leaving because, you know, I didn't like your services. I'm just I had to move. No mm-hmm. big deal. No hard feelings. If it's a large flight school and they have tons of students, I don't think I'd worry about it too much at all. Um, I have the same thoughts sometimes about some of my patients. Every once in a while, I'll think of someone. I'm like, hmm, I haven't seen them in a long time. wonder if it's because they got better or because they didn't care for <laughs> what we were doing for them. <laughs> that couldn't um, be it. No, not at all. Not at all. But um, it's, it's amazing how many people will show up after a long period of time and go, oh, oh yeah, I remember who you are. And I just hadn't, uh, but that's because it's a large patient volume. So I think if it's a, if it's a big school, I, I don't think I'd worry about it. If it's a very small place and you know, you're one of a handful of students there, I, I that might be different. Um, I yeah, should probably yeah. say. Oh, good. I'm sorry. I thought oh, you I was just, gonna, just real quick. Um, I, I've kept up pretty closely with at least three of my former instructors who I consider good friends still. And I think one is listening at least occasionally to the show. So hi, Dave. Hi, Dave. <laughs> well, I mean, let's face it. When, when you stop giving school money, they really don't generally care. No, I must yeah. admit, I mean, think of all the students that have gone through uh, an instructor's hands. Uh, if they've been around for any length of time, uh, they, they probably won't even be able to remember. So if I say, Mike Spears, you sent me solo in a Cessna 150, and Paul Derbyshire, you sent me solo in a Jet Provost, and Roy Lawrence, you sent me, sent me solo in a Phantom, none of them will re- remember me, I'm sure. But you remembered all of their names. Exactly. That's, That's the amazing. point, you see. They're well, special I'm, people to us. Yeah. Well, I don't remember anybody. I don't remember yeah. the people I met <laughs> last week. <laughs> Jeff, did you see how Jeff and I struggled to come up with the names of the people that we talked to at Hops in the Hangar? And it's yeah, not because like, we don't love you or care. It's just because we're... Yes, if we forgot to mention your name, we it's not because we didn't really enjoy meeting you and talking with you at the Hops in the Hangar. It's just that... We just so, have no skill for... for Liz, is, Liz is making a... a, a drinking motion with her, her hand there. So. <laughs> yeah. Steph and She's I um, suffer from a, uh, what was that? Some kind of a um, personality disorder. Personality disorder. E, I think. Where you well, yeah, we're, we're letter name. E. We <laughs> immediately forget the name of the person we were just introduced to 30 seconds before. Yes. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think I ever told this story on, on the show, but when I, back when I was pledging my fraternity, there was a big boardroom with a U-shaped uh, board table and you know, it's a wide open space. And I think we had about 45 to 50 of the brothers and sisters in the fraternity. And when I was pledging, they knew my weakness, and that is remembering names. So they had me stand up in front of the entire fraternity and name off everybody's name. I think I got five or six, maybe. I think I still got in, but, you know, yeah, I just, it, I'm terrible with names. I, if I really focus on 
you know, the person telling me their name and, you know, I spend a little of those brain cells. I don't have many left, um, you know, like remembering it. I can, I'm pretty good at it, but, um, I, the problem is that I'm usually distracted by something else when somebody is telling me their name and then I just, <laughs> this goes right over my head. If I see it written down, I will, will remember it almost mm-hmm. forever every time. So, yeah. Nigel uh, D asks, uh, what are the names of the, uh, of these APG presenters? And I'm not going to answer that question. Yeah. Wait a minute. I, I find I think... it easier if I tattoo the names on my arm. <laughs> Wait a minute. I think Wait, I, a... I, when I when I wake up in the morning, I have to look in the mirror with my name on it so I can remember my own name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to turn on the thing. So here. your name's Nada? No, uh, D A N A. And Anad. Anad. Okay. Display names are always hidden when showing a comment. Okay, oh, you gotta hide remo- the comment. Remove yeah, the comment. Gotcha. There we go. Yeah, I remember. I remember these people now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember my own name now. <laughs> it might be helpful for me to just leave them there so we can remember who we are exactly. and why we're here. Right. <laughs> What's even more sad is when, when we file with, with somebody for four days. Can't remember <laughs> like Two months later. It's. I mean, just two months, right? Maybe even a two weeks. Like, what's your name again? You know, I I never thought that uh, you were the kind of person, Dana, that had trouble with names. It seems to me like you all, you kind of just spew out all these people's names all the time. So I'm kind of surprised, actually. Yeah, but they're but not right. Just people I hate. Oh, they're just names. <laughs> <laughs> just made up. Just made up so names. Maybe, maybe I should I start do doing that. that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea, actually. I'll just start making up names. Yeah, I yeah. remember flying with Willie. <laughs> yeah, me too. We Willie. <laughs> uh, Willie Wonka, I was thinking of. Uh, that one too, yeah. All right, thanks uh, again, Donnie, uh, the, the humble listener. Hope that helped you. <laughs> Probably didn't, but we try. How'd uh, you do that, Jeff? What's that? The names. Uh, it's uh, in the. So you enter your own name when you come into the studio? Yeah. yeah. And then there's an option to have it display. display. Right, gotcha. at the very bottom of the <clears throat> brand uh, column. Um, it, it, it took me a while to find it. I thought, well, I, I used to know how to do this. Uh, but there's like a slider switch that I can mm-hmm. slide over that says show display names. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Let's uh, head over to... Uh, I'm glad I, I chose the right name. Five. Yeah, me too. I'm, I, cause I, I, it was kind of a risky thing for me to do, I guess. <laughs> Captain Obvious here. Uh, let's see. Ryan writes, uh, hello, APG crew. Discovered APG around episode 390 and regularly wonder how I survived so long without the APG crew in my life. Yet we were wondering about that, too. Where have you been, Ryan? Yes. Um, I've been fascinated with flight and airplanes, particularly commercial, since I was a youngster and my interest continues to grow into middle age. I don't necessarily have an itch to become a pilot, but anything and everything related to airplanes piques my interest. This is my first time to send feedback, so let me preface it. Seeing as how I've only listened to a couple dozen shows thus far, I'm guessing that my pedestrian question has been asked and answered at least once, if not many times, in the 400-plus episode APG library. If that's the case, and you want to simply point me to the right episodes, let me know which ones, and I'll take a listen. Okay, ready? I'm right. just laughing. <laughs> Write this there. down. Uh, 137. 12, 32, 8, 7, 4, 40, don't, don't forget about 46, Steph. 46 is a good one. 
I have no idea what those are. I don't even know what his question is yet. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, oh, here's his question. What's the scariest, most white knuckle situation you have faced in the cockpit in your civil aviation careers? I look forward to hearing more about these harrowing experiences and how you handled them. I have many other questions that I would like to ask you all. So here's to kicking off the first of many blue skies and tailwinds followed by a nice bourbon gin or IPA or all the above Ryan S from Austin, Texas. Welcome Ryan. Uh, where have you been all around? Hi, Ryan. Um, yeah, we miss you. Harrowing. Well, just listen to this show. Mm. Yeah. This, yeah. This show. I mean, that was, uh, I've never, I've never had a, a board of takeoff ever as an airline captain. Oh, that's so, right. Yeah, you just recently it, uh, went into detail about your most exactly. white knuckle situation. Um, I think mine was probably uh, when this guy named Dana came and sat down in the first officer's seat uh, in the cockpit of the uh, <laughs> Mad Dog. That was very, very <laughs> white knuckle. It was. I hope, I hope, I hope she had blonde hair and she was no, cute. no, no. I'm talking about you, and you know it. <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't know. Uh, I th- I think uh, just off just offhand, I haven't really thought about it much, but it was probably the story that I've told a few times where we were landing at LaGuardia in the 727, and uh, the previous uh, airplane had gone around and was vectored back in to the crossing runway. It was a King Air, and they uh, and we just never heard from them again. But they landed right in front of us as we were shortly after we touched down and were rolling out on runway four. Uh, they were landing on runway one three, and uh, luckily we were slow enough and just jammed the brakes on uh, before we crossed that runway and would have collided with that 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 airplane. Oops. That that got my attention. Mm-hmm. Well, I actually was just talking about this with um, Adam Spink, who I should also again thank for uh, the ride to and from the uh, birthday party for. Captain Al, that was very kind of you. I appreciate it very much, Adam. But on uh, in our conversation on the way back, we were talking about various harrowing experiences. Um, and the one that came to mind for me was flying uh, with a very good friend of mine, um, another private pilot. Um, he was we had talked about things. He was PIC that day. But at the time, he was also in charge. Well, he was working at the FBO and in uh, charge of our local airfield, taking care of um, kind of the grassy areas, kind of infields. There were three runways all kind of um, arranged in a triangular shape. So there was a big triangular grassy area um, in the middle of the field. And he had mowed it that day and it was a, it's a flat, flat area. And he goes, you know, I'd like to do um, some, some soft field landings. And I know this is all flat and well-groomed and whatnot. And said, okay, fine, great. So I think we were in a uh, Cessna 150 or 172, maybe the 150. I forget exactly. But I think it was the 150 because um, it didn't have as much power as the 172, which is important to the story because as we got down, he goes, well, you know, I think actually it, it maybe wasn't quite as flat as I, I thought it was. And I'd like to go around. So he decided to go around, except the place he decided to go around, there wasn't a whole lot of room left. And there were large trees in front of us. And I was absolutely certain he was going to fly us into the <laughs> bank of trees. <laughs> um, I was not very pleased with that decision. So next time, <laughs> just land the dang airplane. It would have been fine. Um, anyway, so that was my most, uh, it wasn't me flying, but I was, I was passenger. But it was, yeah, you were right. And it there. worked out. Yeah, it, it worked out fine. Um, he's a very good pilot, and uh, yeah, there was there was enough uh, performance margin left for us to to make it around those trees. So a real but, nail biter that one. Yeah, I wasn't so, so sure. My knuckles probably were night white from uh, gripping onto to something nearby, or maybe just wringing my own hands or his neck. I'm not sure. <laughs> 
White Knuckles, I always think of my one of my first flights in a Cessna 150 or 152. I can't remember which. Um, but I'm sure all of us can what remember the, our first flights Moscow at the controls. Or whatever it was. What did you call that thing? Oh, no, that was actually – that occurred after. I. This was before I went off into the Air Force. Um, oh, okay. One of the uh, uh, linemen at the uh, uh, fixed base operation, the FBO in Mobile, the Mobile Air Center, was an instructor, uh, CFI. And uh, he took me up and, and gave me the controls. And I, I he said, Jeff. What? What? Look at look at your look at your knuckles. <laughs> they were white because I was gripping that yoke so tightly. Yep. You know, it, yeah. I still do I was that. The same thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, Ryan. Uh, beyond the the uh, professional world of aviation, uh, I had a situation going into Enid, Oklahoma, and I'll never forget it. Um, my buddy and I were building time. We're flying a single engine Comanche across country all the way from Atlanta out to Salt Lake city. And we were on this first leg in, in, you know, single engine Comanche. It's an older, older airplane had bladder tanks, which is, you know, made out of rubber. We're on final approach and the, between us and the airport of high tension power lines, were all configured, you know, landing gear down flaps, you know, whatever they were for full flaps, uh, it's my leg. I was flying in there, and uh, the engine quit. So between me, uh, us, and and it's a single engine Comanche, no no twin. So between us in the runway was a field with high tension power lines. My buddy, we were, we were both instructors at that time, uh, you know, in the airline business at Acme. Um, so we were already pre pre. Uh, preloaded to be uh, doing CRM type stuff. So I was flying, he was troubleshooting. Um, so I had to make that decision because we weren't going to make the airport to push the nose over and get underneath the power line so we didn't crash into the power lines and land in the field. Well, no sooner did that occur, we, you know, he was, he was troubleshooting, uh, swap tanks, and the engine came back to life. Well, now I have a problem. Now I'm either flying under the power lines or I'm going to have to climb like a bat out of hell to get above the power lines, which is what I chose to do and barely cleared them um, with the landing gear still down the flaps at full. So, you know, we have a lot of drag. Needless to say, when we uh, landed and eaten and taxied in, uh, we're trying to figure out why in the world the uh, we did we run out of fuel? What, what was going on? Actually turned out there was particulate. Uh, from the bladder tank that actually had come loose and was blocking the line. Um, but yeah, both of us had to kind of clean out our drawers. That was, <laughs> that was the scariest thing I've ever experienced. So. Wow. Yeah. I remember you telling us about that story that uh, definitely would be something that would get your attention. Yeah. I thought we were going to crash. Yeah. Hmm. Nick. Uh, yeah. I've told this one before as well. I think uh, going into Shanghai, uh, well, there was a typhoon forecast that was going to be just after arrival time. And, of course, you know, we were airborne for 10, 11 hours, and the typhoon sped up, and it arrived just as uh, we did, at least the beginning of it. And uh, they had, I think, gusting 47 knots across uh, their runways there. We made one approach um, and went round uh, for windshear. And on the second approach, we got it right down into the flare, a lot of drift on, but it, you know, it was airplane was coping. But then we hit severe turbulence in the flare, and the airplane was rocking and rolling. And uh, I think uh, if I hadn't have got the left main gear onto the runway, we'd have scraped the 
number one engine along in the grass because I literally had run out of uh, uh, side stick control. There was there was nothing that the airplane could give me uh, to try and keep the wings uh, level. Uh, so uh, that was a bit of a worry. Uh, it got so bad when we taxied in that uh, they couldn't offload the passengers. Uh, we were sitting there. The airplane was moving so much that they couldn't put stairs up against the side and the wind was too strong to risk taking the passengers off eventually uh we were lucky to get a slot against the terminal which put us in the shadow of the wind and we could disembark but uh, i got to the hotel my father you know uh, my lifelong hero airline pilot 30 odd thousand hours of flying was there waiting for me i was going to take him to london on the return flight and he had a bottle of whiskey so <laughs> <laughs> we went up to his room and consumed most of this bottle of whiskey. Because as I walked into the hotel, he looked at me and said, are you all right? <laughs> and I said, I'll, I'll tell it to you over a drink. So uh, it was great. Well, it was a happy ending. Right. It was a happy I mean, We didn't do any damage. Uh, but the uh, the lovely thing, actually, was the German uh, Lufthansa engineer in Shanghai there. Who, he plugged into the aircraft when we parked it. He was the first guy on the ground I speak to. And they'd been watching because there was, there was, we were the only airplane in the sky over Shanghai at the time. Uh, and uh, he'd been watching the arrival. And uh, I said, uh, could you uh, just go and have a look at number one engine and see if there's any grass on it? And he said, oh, I already looked. You're okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he'd been watching the landing, and he already went, oh, bloody hell, I'm going to go and look at that. <laughs> you definitely need to do a good, <laughs> thorough exactly right. no, He said, you've got away with that, yeah. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> oh, well. Thank you, Ryan, for um, posing the question to us uh, regarding our harrowing experiences, and look forward to hearing back from you again in the future. But in the meantime, it is now the best part of the show, which is, of course, the old pilot's plane tales and this week's version, Passing Gas. The old pilot's plane tales, Passing Gas. Just before 7.30 in the morning of January the 1st, question mark, got airborne from Van Nuys Airport. They had scheduled their flight so that they could overfly the 1929 Rose Bowl American football game in Pasadena, California, to get more publicity for their record attempt, for this was no ordinary flight. As their American-built military version of the Fokker trimotor climbed out, despite only having 100 gallons of fuel on board, the five-man crew prepared themselves for a very long flight. Within the hour, they were joined in the air over Los Angeles by one of two modified Douglas C-1 single-engine biplanes, this one imaginatively named Refueling Airplane Number 1. It came up alongside question mark, which had been more creatively named in response to the oft-asked question for this flight duration record attempt. How long do you think you'll stay aloft? That's the question was their stock reply and the name of their aircraft. The refueler moved above and then slightly in front of the Fokker and stabilized at 80 miles an hour. 
Then, from the belly of refueling airplane number one, the hose handler, Second Lieutenant Woodring, wound out 50 feet of lead-weighted two-and-a-half-inch fire hose wrapped in copper grounding wire. From a hatch cut in the roof of question mark, the crew grabbed the bobbing fuel hose and wearing rain gear and goggles for protection, placed the end into a bucket connected to a pair of supplementary fuel tanks in the fuselage. Within 90 seconds, they had taken on 100 gallons, which they then pumped up into the main tanks in the wing using a wobble pump. During one refueling, turbulence pulled the hose out of the receiving bucket. We went over the Rose Bowl. It was very bumpy, as you could appreciate, as we should have appreciated, up against those mountains in January, and the refueling plane and the question mark were torn apart. I was piloting the question mark, and I realized that General Spatz had probably been drenched in high-octane gasoline. Spatz was at the time a captain, but would rise to become a four-star general. Fearing that chemical burns might force him to parachute out of the aircraft to receive medical aid, Spatz shed all his clothing and was wiped off with oil-soaked rags. He subsequently experienced two more spills, but used oil and zinc oxide to prevent injury. Fuel wasn't the only commodity passed between the aircraft. They needed engine oil as well as food, replacement parts and a few luxuries. On New Year's Day, they were sent a hot turkey dinner, and when they passed the previous endurance record, they received cheese, figs, olives and caviar for a celebration. To save weight, Question Mark didn't have a radio, so they communicated by using flares, flags, flashlights, weighted message bags, notes tied to the supply line, and even messages written on the sides of PW9D fighters, especially painted black and nicknamed Blackboard Planes. Although the crew flew the plane at slow cruising speeds, their engines were eventually overstressed from extended use. The left engine began losing power as early as the third day. Sergeant Huey taped down his trouser cuffs, donned a parachute, rigged a lifeline and walked out onto the wing to service the engines from makeshift catwalks. Sadly, the in-flight maintenance only delayed the inevitable engine wear. Once the engines began missing, the crew kept the question mark within gliding distance of their airfield. Eventually, on Monday the 7th of January, the left engine broke a pushrod and seized. The increase in power required on the remaining two Wright J5 radials put an unacceptable strain on them, so the decision was made to land. After six days, 15 hours and 40 minutes, Question Mark touched down safely at Van Nuys, then known as Metropolitan Airport. The flight had exceeded the longest duration record by over four days, during which it had been refueled 37 times, 12 of which were at night. They successfully transferred over 5,500 gallons of fuel. The crew were all given the DFC, but interestingly, the tanker crews received no recognition, no decorations at the time. Such is often the lot of a tanker crew. 
This wasn't the first record-breaking flight, aided by air-to-air refuelling, and far from the last, but one of many as this new way to replenish aircraft in the air was explored. The very first occurred six years earlier, and it was based on a development by Alexander Nikolaevich Prokofiev de Siversky. Of noble Russian parentage, Siversky was a well-schooled man who served with the Imperial Russian Navy, but who transferred to the Military School of Aeronautics at Sebastopol in the Crimea. On his very first mission for the Baltic Fleet, he attacked a German destroyer, but was shot down, and in the crash his bombs exploded, severely injuring him and killing his observer. Despite losing one of his legs, he proved to his superiors that he could still fly by appearing unannounced at an air show, after which, despite his spirited performance, he was arrested. However, Tsar Nicholas II intervened on his behalf and he was allowed to resume flying in the military. Only three days after returning to combat duty, he downed his first of 13 enemy aircraft that he claimed. He was serving in the United States when Russia was torn apart by the 1917 revolution and he remained there, offering his services to the War Department and becoming an assistant to General Billy Mitchell. He applied for and obtained numerous patents, including the world's first gyroscopically stabilized bomb site. The aircraft manufacturer he founded, Sobersky Aircraft Corporation on Long Island, went on to become Republic Aviation Corporation, which would become an industrial behemoth during World War II. One of Sobersky's patents was for an air-to-air refueling system, which was first tried in June 1923 between a pair of de Havilland DH-4 biplanes of the United States Army Air Service. Lieutenant Lowell Smith, a pioneering airman who would claim many records, including the first aerial circumnavigation of the world, was the pilot, and he went on to conduct an air refueled flight that, at 37 hours 15 minutes, took the world endurance record. Similar feats were taking place in Europe, and the first practical system, concisely termed the Rappled Line Looped Hose Air-to-Air Refueling System, was developed by Sir Alan Cobham in 1934, and his company would go on to parent Flight Refueling Limited, a company that still exists. Cobham's system was used to refuel flying boats so that they could perform regular, non-stop transatlantic crossings the tanker aircraft being a Handley Page Harrow, but these flights were interrupted by the outbreak of the Second World War. However, in the closing months of the war, the USAF purchased a number of flight refuelling systems to equip their B-29s and later B-50s. It was this system that made possible the flight of Lucky Lady 2, a superfortress of the 43rd Bomb Wing, which flew non-stop around the world in 94 hours and one minute, proving that vast distances and geographical barriers were no longer an obstacle to American military air power. Cobham knew that his looped hose system left a lot to be desired, 
and he began work on an improved system that remains, to this day, the backbone for the tanker forces of many countries. The probe and drogue system. This simple and flexible technology has changed little since its conception. It consists of a drum inside a pod, or inside the fuselage, that carries a refueling hose tipped with an aerodynamic basket, a drogue. It looks something like a shuttlecock that uh, badminton players beat to death. The drogue stabilises the hose in flight and also acts as a funnel to aid the receiving aircraft's probe to make contact. A receiving aircraft has either a fixed probe, mainly found on larger or slower machines, or a retractable probe, usually on fighters that, when extended, can be flown into the basket. There it is gripped by the connection mechanism and fuel can be passed. The basket is made from strips of steel, which form spokes held together by a flexible ring at the open end, containing an aerodynamic canopy with illumination for night refueling. Once in contact, the receiver slowly drives his aircraft forward by about 10 feet, or 3 metres, and as he does so, the drum automatically winds in so that there isn't any slack in the hose. When in the correct position, the tanker can then allow fuel to pass down the hose, through the probe and into the receiver's fuel tanks. Probe and drogue systems were subsequently fitted to RAF tankers and a multitude of other aircraft, particularly those of the US Navy and Marines. A refueling pod can be fitted to almost any aircraft, such as the A-4 Skyhawk, the A-6 Intruder, the Super Etonda, the Buccaneer, the Tornado, and on larger aircraft, such as the Vickers VC-10, the Hadley Page Victor, and the Avro Vulcan, which had as many as three hoses. C-130 Hercules, Lockheed Vikings, Tristars, Boeing 707s, 767s, A310s, A330s, A400Ms and many others have all operated as probe and drogue tankers. This is the only practical system for carrier operations and helicopters can only refuel from a drogue. In the United States, the system choice went down a different path. In 1948, General Spatz, who you will remember from the record-breaking flight he made and the fuel dousing he got in the record-winning flight I mentioned earlier, was now the first chief of the staff of the newly created United States Air Force. He made aerial refueling a priority, and despite the success of the Cobham system, asked General Curtis LeMay, commander of SAC, to task Boeing to develop a refueling system. SAC wanted a refueling system to feed the fuel-hungry long-range bombers that they had at the time that could pass fuel faster than a flexible hose could. The Air Force's fighter community resisted eliminating the hose and drogue, but was overruled by the Strategic Air Command, which operated the tanker fleet, and during the Cold War placed a higher value on refueling bombers. This led to the Flying Boom refueling system being adopted by the USAF and built into many American military aircraft since. 
The flying boom system is attached to the rear of a tanker's fuselage. It's gimbaled to allow it to move around with the receiver aircraft, within limits that is. The boom contains a rigid telescopic pipe, the position of which is controlled by a pair of V-shaped aerofoils that act as flight control surfaces, moving the boom around aerodynamically. At the end of the fuel pipe is a nozzle with a flexible ball joint. The receiver opens the receptacle and when in position, the boom operator flies the fuel pipe towards the receiver, extending it and guiding it into the receptacle to make contact. Once properly mated, the fuel is allowed to flow. The perceived shortcomings of using a single boom to refuel fighter aircraft is reflected in a 1990 Air Force initiative to standardise DOD fighter aircraft refuelling on the hose and drogue method. As first conceived, the initiative consisted of three elements, placing probes on all F-15 and F-16 fighters, incorporating a probe in the design of the F-22A and adding two drogue pods to at least 150 KC-135s. To provide redundancy and flexibility, Air Force fighters would retain their boom receptacles. The 1991 war with Iraq, Operation Desert Storm, heightened DOD's concern over a lack of uniformity in aerial refueling methods. Navy leaders expressed frustration and dissatisfaction with the number of Air Force aerial refueling aircraft capable of employing the hose and drogue. It appeared that limited access to Air Force tankers had handicapped or complicated the Navy's long-range strike capability in some conflicts. Because KC-135 aircraft employ a single hose, Navy fighters must cycle six to eight aircraft through the refueling queue. By the time the last aircraft has refueled, the first one requires more gas. This process can require three to four refueling hits for each aircraft before reaching a distant target. U.S. Navy pilots who flew early missions against the Taliban during Operation Enduring Freedom described the UK Royal Air Force 6 VC-10 tankers that supported them as a godsend and the silent heroes of the air war. The Navy pilots expressed a clear preference for RAF tankers over USAF tankers. And, by the way, this isn't my opinion but that of a CRS report written for Congress by Christopher Bolcom, specialist in national defence, foreign affairs and defence. It was late in the 1990s that the USAF started to look for a replacement for the ageing Boeing KC-135 fleet of tankers. Initially, it looked like the Airbus multi-role tanker transport, a militarised version of the A330 airliner, would win the contract. After all, it was the airframe that the Air Force wanted. But the deal was overturned amid political pressure and the US Air Force forced to rerun the competition, which Boeing ultimately won, landing a 49 billion US dollar contract in 2011 to build 179 of its Boeing 767-based tankers. Sadly, this choice has led to prolonged delays and cost growth that has amounted to several billion dollars, but work on the new-gen tanker continues. 
It marries the 767-200ER fuselage with the Dash 300F's wings, has manual flight controls, a digital flight deck, and improved fly-by-wire version of the KC-10 boom. Importantly, the KC-46 Pegasus possesses both a boom and wing-mounted drogue pods plus a centerline hose, so it can work with aircraft carrying either refueling system. The KC-46 has been plagued with problems, but Boeing have worked through most, however it still has at least three Cat-1 deficiencies, all related to its very advanced camera-operated digital flying boom system. However, airframes have, at last, started arriving at units. But this isn't the end of the story, as next week I'm going to talk about some of the more remarkable mishaps and accomplishments that in-flight refueling has achieved. Another fascinating plane tail. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was like scrambling trying to figure out how to get rid of the plane tail screen on the... Okay, got it. I'm um, glad you enjoyed that. Yeah. And uh, big thanks to uh, Greg Willits again for uh, doing uh, a little bit of voiceover work uh, to play the part of the uh, the pilot of Question Mark. A great name for an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'll have to, I'm actually, I'm sorry, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I'll have to go back and listen to that one. I got distracted by family um, obligations there, which um, were important, but um, I'm looking forward to hearing it. Cool. Likewise. Greg Willis, I thought, you know, it looked like I received something in the mail from him um, a couple of days ago. I just thought it was him checking up with me, but I'll bet it's probably a bill for his services voiceover. (laughs) (laughs) Just send it over to HR. We've already determined that to care about Every time I contact him, he uh, comes back and says, oh, it's a great break from my normal work. And I'm thinking, well, your normal work's doing <laughs> reading stuff <laughs> and doing, doing voice work. So I can't imagine that, but he's very gracious. Yes, he is. Very gracious, uh, very modest and humble person. And uh, a great set of pipes. Yes, very, very much so. Okay. Um, thank you, uh, Greg. And thank you, Captain Nick for the wonderful oh, another one to kill. come uh, next week on the same theme. Okay. Oh, really? More passing gas? Uh, passing more gas. Yes. Passing more gas. Okay. <laughs> I will definitely have to get caught up then. I was going to say, um, <laughs> perhaps I had my um, microphone um, not muted, and and you heard me in the background during the plane tail. Ah, uh, no, not this week. Thank the Lord. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad it's only via video because then I don't have to smell that. <laughs> yes. I'm just kidding, of course. Yeah, we yeah. all assumed it was out. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, let's see. We are rapidly running out of time again. I thought we were doing so well with our feedback here, but obviously we're not going to be able to get to all of it today. So let's just jump right back in. And uh, let's see. Liz had suggested an order for me. Uh, let's jump over to 12, and this would be a good one to do. This has to do with the several responses or replies to our discussion about colorblindness on earlier episodes, and uh, the good Dr. Steph is here with us now, and she can uh, kind of take over uh, the answer for this. 
I am. So, you know, we talked about that a couple episodes ago. I think it was in um, relation to a question sent in by John, if I remember correctly. Um, And we received, in addition to what I talked about, five of you sent in feedback regarding your um, some personal um, anecdotes and some additional information um, from other countries as well. So I thought that'd be good to kind of all lump into one big feedback here. And I'm going to try and uh, some of you have sent some some long written tales, and I hope you don't mind if I shorten those just slightly, but I'd like to actually start with the two pieces of audio feedback, and Jeff, we can just play those out, and then I, the other ones kind of piggyback on those, and I'll, I'll try and summarize a little bit. So okay. It uh, doesn't matter the order. One, one after the other? Yep, just one after the other. It doesn't matter the order. Um, okay. Let's do it. Hi, guys. It's Pip here. Just wanting to send a quick bit of feedback regarding something I heard on the last episode. Um, uh, a listener, John, I think it was, from Western Australia, wrote in and was asking about colour blindness and the fact that he had been so far barred from obtaining a Class 1 medical. Uh, now, I, I think I sent in some audio feedback about this once before when a, a, another listener had the same problem, but I, I just wanted to repeat it because I think uh, it's you really need to have the information because it's it's easy to to have misinformation so thing one your your high street optometrist or optician or whoever you go to may well not be aware of what is required for the issuance of a, a class one medical i remember a long long time ago as a child my aunt is an optometrist and we did a the ishiara color blindness test just one afternoon at her house just for fun and she identified that i me was in fact uh, colorblind to a certain degree, had a, a color deficiency. And I remember her very vividly at the time saying, oh, that's fine, don't worry, as long as you don't want to be a pilot, it's not a problem. And of course, even at that age, I was probably, I don't know, eight or something, my heart sank. Um, but being stubborn and, and stupid like I am, I, I carried on anyway. Um, so hop forward a few years, when I went to get my class one medical um, I was uh, pleased to learn that, in fact, the issue of colour blindness is not, forgive the pun, as black and white as you might initially think. Uh, there are many varying uh, degrees of colour blindness. It's not you either are or aren't. Um, obviously, there is a point at which you won't be allowed a class one medical, but I think, and I'm talking UK. Uh, CAA medical requirements here, but I think they're broadly similar around the world. Um, you'll be surprised at what you can get away with. So for me, when I do those Ishiara tests, as Seth described, the, the circles with the coloured dots, and there's usually a number in there, um, some of those I cannot see. And incidentally, we I did these with my kids recently. I just found some online. Just I presented it as a bit of a game, but I just wanted to see if... Well, if my son had inherited that gene, obviously I don't think females uh, carry the colour blindness gene. They just they just pass it on to us fellas. Thanks, girls. But anyway, I wanted to see if my son had it, and actually, fortunately, he didn't. He could see all of them, and they both found it hilarious that on some of these plates I couldn't see the number. They thought I was I, I was mad. But anyway, um, so after having failed some of those plates, I w- went on to the I forget the name of it, but the lantern test. Uh, this they they dim the uh, the room lights so you're in a dark room and then they simulate looking at airport or, or just coloured lights from a, a certain distance away. So the lights are not particularly bright; they're quite dim. 
and I seem to remember there's four lights in a row, kind of like a pappy would be presented to you, but there are various combinations of colours. They're either red, green, or white. Maybe there was yellow as well, I forget now. So you, know, you have to read across the lights left to right, so you say, you know, blue, not blue, sorry, red, green, white, white, or red, red, white, white, or whatever the combination happens to be. And for me, I was able to identify those 100% without uh, any issues at all. Um, had I failed that, I'm not sure what the next step would have been. Um, I know Steph described a, a kind of a, an operational functional test. I don't know if in the UK they offer that one. But uh, I guess that's a thing as well. I, I have no idea what form that takes. But the, the key point here that I wanted to tell that listener down in Australia is don't take your optometrist's word for it. Don't. I know it's been a few years for you since that, um, since she told you that. But um, certainly, if you're still keen, take yourself down to your local aviation authority medical centre and get a full colour vision check because you may well be pleasantly surprised and find out that you are. Um, eligible for a full class one medical so uh, yeah so do press on and, and find out and I, I certainly hope it works out well for you anyway that's it forgive the rambling hope you're all well see you again soon pip out hello again crew this is devon from edmonton alberta canada as you may or probably don't remember i'm the wannabe pilot turned wannabe aircraft maintenance engineer over the past year, I've heard a lot of people ask about medical issues that might prevent them from flying, and I thought I'd give a bit of my story because I've been through it. When I was getting the medical done, all was fine until the vision tests. On paper, I have no depth perception, and that's a problem because we know the government loves their paperwork. The doctor told me it probably wasn't going to happen and sent me to an ophthalmologist. So my issue is a bit goofy. Both eyes individually are perfect. I have great vision. But when both eyes are open my brain only takes information from the left eye and doesn't care at all about the right one. So on paper, I'm blind in my right eye, and in reality, that's not at all true. Um, the ophthalmologist sent that report to my doctor, who sent everything to Transport Canada. So about a month after you had read my feedback on whatever episode that was, I got my Class 1 medical in the mail. So to anyone listening who may have something you're not sure about, do go get that second or third opinion or see a specialist because it might not end up being as big a deal as you think. As for me, I love school. I love what I'm doing, learning about and fixing airplanes. Uh, one more year and maybe, just maybe, I can join the fight to 50% accuracy. So I hope that feedback helps somebody just go for it. Uh, keep up the great work. Cheers. Good luck with the... Uh accuracy there uh, Devin. that's the toughest part isn't it yeah um so to kind of piggyback on both what pip and Devin said great feedback guys thank you so much for sending that and i think it's always important for people to hear personal stories for people from people who have been through it before because um, it's easier for me to sit here and say well yeah there's this you know test or that test but to be honest, I haven't been through it. So um, unless you've really done it and know how it works and have a good understanding, it's it's a little harder to give that kind of um, detailed information. So thank you very much. Um, we had three other pieces of feedback, both all with um, some personal stories as well. I'm going to start with the, calls himself the not so colorblind pilot and not so in uh, inverted commas. Uh, 
he um so this is a, this is a very long feedback and i hope you don't mind if i just take some bits and pieces of this but gives quite a bit of detail about his his story and how he got to the point where he is now where is a um, commercial airline pilot. So very much congratulations to you on that. Sounds like that was relatively um, a recent accomplishment. Um, went through quite a bit to, first of all, earn enough money to get to the point of being able to um, do his different, various different ratings. And um, much like um, uh, Pip was kind of surprised that he failed the Ishiara color um, wheels because he'd never struggled or didn't perceive any struggles with colors in school and whatnot. And um, thought he was able to see things just fine. Um, so he did the same thing where he had the test where they do the different lights that you have to, to take a look at. Um, it sounds like in UK in the UK, that's kind of a standard procedure um, or test there. Um, I like what he, he then goes on to say, because he actually asked the examiner why he struggled with the Ishiara test when he had no problem with the um, colored lights test. Um, and I like the, the examiner's explanation. He said, we all accept that we have different senses. We all prefer different foods, different taste buds. We all prefer different music, different interpretations of sounds. We all prefer different perfumes, different smells. So surely we all see and interpret colors of the world differently. Of course, it's hard to determine exactly what colors each person sees. We're told at a young age that grass is green, the sky is blue. So whatever we see those uh, wavelengths of colors again, we just describe them as green or blue, for example. There are different wavelengths of light entering our eyes, so it's still up to our brains to process what that particular color looks like. Um, isn't it bizarre to think that the person sitting next to you may have a completely different color palette to yours? They may see the colors that you cannot even imagine. After all, we can't exactly uh, describe what green is other than saying green. We can say that light green or dark green, but green is still, well, green. So perhaps the Ishiara plates aren't the best way of determining if someone is colorblind, particularly if someone's color palette is a little bit closer together such as darker or brighter. And then he says, remember that picture of that dress that got people arguing about the color of it on social media? He attached it at the end of his feedback. So thanks for that to bring that uh, controversy back up. By the way, I see uh, like kind of a bluish white and gold, not the black and blue. Anyway, um, for what that's worth. But that kind of gets at Devin's point as well that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, our brain has to interpret these signals that come in through our different sensory organs. So um, whereas his brain is unable to process the information from both eyes at the same time, um, our brain has to interpret those wavelengths and, and colors as well. So um, really interesting stuff there. Um, then he goes on to talk about how he did really well in school and math and whatnot. So congratulations on all of that. And I'm glad that you have had the chance to be hired by a very British Acme airline, um, currently flying the A320. So um, he says, keep the blue side up. At least I think it's blue. Um, and he thanks for the fab podcast. The so, regards, the not so colorblind pilot. Yes. Very good. You, did you say that, what did you say that you perceive that uh, dress as? Uh, white and gold, but the, the yeah. white for okay. me is slightly has bluish. has a slight bluish tint, tint to it. To it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's people, what I see too. Mm -hmm. Some people see very clear black and uh blue and black not white and gold what do you see nick i can't find the picture <laughs> oh it's on the bottom of the uh oh, it, he, oh, oh that's he, right it's you not in the it's not in the, oh, it's not in the uh, yeah. google doc okay never mind <laughs> well while he's while he's looking for it let me move on to um, so never know let me move on to mark who also sent in his story as well um so his is a bit shorter here he says um, he couldn't see all those numbers on all of those cute color palettes either. Uh, so he missed enough that the doctor failed him for his class two medical that he was looking for. He's here in the uh, United States. Um, 
so he ended up having to go to the Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin FISDO, Fastidious Superfluous Department of Overzealousness. Um, since we couldn't remember that, that stands for oh, that, that, that's Flight, that's Flight Standards <laughs> District. He's making fun of us because we couldn't remember what it yeah, stood no. for either. Flight Standards <laughs> District Office. I've since set myself straight. So he set up a test, which appears to be a little bit different than the one conducted in the UK. It also involves color signals and lights, um, but they were standing outside to do it as, as opposed to in the kind of dimly lit room um, at 500 feet away and then 1,000 feet away. Um, he said, it turns out I have a academic red-green combination deficiency, but it doesn't affect me at all in real life. So again, that comes back to the brain being able to process and interpret those signals correctly, even when presented with perhaps incorrect information. So he was granted a waiver um, that they stapled to his second-class medical card. Um, the next time he went to take his flight physical, the wa uh, waiver was removed. Apparently, uh, once you prove it, or if you prove it once, you are officially healed up for uh, all time. So big thumbs up. My two pence anyway, keep up the mediocre work. <laughs> I think. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> Thank the you. Baylor, if you're at Nicest Air Venture. thing that anybody's said to us I, in yes, recent yes. years. So, and uh, uh, white and gold, no blue. I can't see any blue tinge at all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No blue tinge to the white? No. Mine's kind of bluish Yeah, tinge. the white kind of has, to me, the same thing that you're seeing, yeah. Steph. A little, just a slight bit of blue in it. Sure. And yeah. then we've got one more here to, to wrap up. This is from Mikey. Um, he is... Um, Talking with regards to, so John was from Perth, so he's talking specifically with regards to uh, the Australian Civil Aviation Safety Authority that had uh, some recent changes to theirs. And I think I briefly mentioned this because this is what I was doing when I found research, but this is relatively new information from the 27th of February, 2020. Um, and, and previously in Australia, it was kind of a three-stage testing process for color vision testing. So a pass at any stage would allow you to continue on to an unrestricted medical. But if you failed all three tests, then they would... Um, put certain limitations or could only issue with certain um, uh, being subjected to certain limitations. Um, but then their, what their statement says is that research in recent years has shown relying on diagnostic tests alone may be unnecessarily limiting when considering the impact of color vision deficiency on aviation safety. Advances in technology, operating techniques, and human factors training can now mitigate many of the safety risks of color vision deficiency. Um, so uh, other countries, in particular New Zealand, have moved into this operational color vision assessment, um, which Pip uh, referenced that I had previously mentioned, including a ground-based uh, assessment as well as an in-flight assessment, which look at the pilot's ability to actually interpret that visual information. And they do a separate testing for day flying and, and night flying. So what Australia has decided is that they're going to adopt that approach because they deem it more practical. Um, they are allowing their pilots at present to actually go to New Zealand to have the testing done if they wish, um, but they are planning to implement it by mid-2020 for themselves as well. So that was uh, good good news, I suppose. He says, best wishes. Um, oh, that was... Uh, Mikey. Mikey, yeah. Um, he says... <laughs> Uh, I hope this gives, uh, let's see. Yeah. He says, I hope this gives John the opportunity to progress his dream and I wish him all the best to the rest of you. I hope your day is adequately. Okay. Mikey. Some interesting <laughs> signups for all these colorblind yeah. <laughs> people out there. People with interest in color so blind, if so. somebody's colorblind, apparently they have a different sense of humor. Yeah. You know, their brains process things differently. So what True. can we say? True. Anyway, all good feedback. Thank you all so much. I hope that answers your questions. Well, John. Yes. I'm a little confused. So Mark, um, the Basler Fueler at yes. Air Venture, he contacted me about um, doing some sort of meetup in Wichita. And I'm but he's talking about Milwaukee, Wisconsin, FSDO. Uh, 
That's weird. Um, I mean, Kansas and Wisconsin are. No, just no. kidding. Yeah, they're nowhere near each other. <laughs> I don't know. I don't um, maybe he was traveling. Yeah, that might be. Um, so speaking of that, um, well, I'll let you finish up the uh, tie it up and. Oh, you, that's all I. That's, that's all it? I have okay. to say. I, I really appreciate all of you for sending in that information to help me out because certainly this is outside of my daily area of expertise when it comes to to medicine. So I just go on the information that's kind of available to all of us if we do enough research on it. Um, but it's nice to hear what happens in other countries as well, since folks are listening to this from all around the globe. Yes. Um, so to get back to the Wichita thing, I'm I'm going to be in Wichita on. Thursday next week. And uh, as long as it doesn't interfere with the recording of our next show, which we don't know when that's going to be yet, because <laughs> we haven't talked about it. Um, I would love to meet up with who anybody might be interested in doing that. I think uh, Nick in the in the uh, chat room was saying something about um, doing a meetup when I'm in Wichita next week. And then Mark uh, sent me the email about it. And uh, so, yeah, um, I'll have to try to figure out whether or not we're going to do a meetup or not, and then I'll probably do something on Slack re, uh, regarding that, and uh, maybe uh, Twitter and Facebook as well. And speaking of meetups, uh, yes, stuff? yeah, can I jump in on one of those? Yeah. Um, um, I actually don't have all the information on this, even though I will be present at it. Yeah. Um, but it, the information is going in Slack, so if you're not in Slack, please, um, please get um, involved in that um, next. Uh, Sunday, I'm pretty sure. Yep. I don't even know what day of the week. Oh, well, all, that I can, is. all I can say is beware uh, the Ides of March. Yes, beware the Ides of March. Uh, is that the 15th then? Mm -hmm. Must be the 15th. Yep. Uh, we are going to be having a meetup in New York City. Um, Tanya Wyman, listener, is going to be hosting that quite graciously. Um, she did give her information in the chat room, so I suppose I can um, repeat that here. She said uh, you can email her at Tanya at panacea42.com p-a-n-a-c-e-a 42.com um, and that's t-a-n-y-a uh, so she's uh, in charge of putting this together for us it's basically going to be I'm running the New York City half marathon we're going to do it sometime at the conclusion of that before I have to jump back on a plane and head back to Charlotte so mid morning to mid afternoon ish I would suppose very good. That's all the information I have right now. So you're running the marathon, half marathon first, and then first, during the meetup. Yes. Oh, yes, that's a because good order. It, it ends close to um, where, where. Yes. <laughs> the preferred yeah. order. Yes, definitely. Uh, also, considering the race starts at like 7 a.m. or something. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Very good. Um, uh, speaking of Tanya, we played her. Um, we kind of broke apart her audio feedback um, last time and played the first part of it and i hope you don't mind tanya if you're still with us in the chat room if we put that off the second part till our next episode because we're kind of rapidly running out of time here for our show today and uh so um i'm you know tanya's a wonderful sweet person i'm sure she's not going to mind if we push it off until next week that's it meetups canceled she's never listening again uh oh whoops i was <laughs> wrong I, I i misplayed that one Sorry. <laughs> Way to go, Jeff. What I, what I meant to say is, <laughs> let's go to Tanya's feedback right now. No, it'll be, I'm sure she'll be fine. <laughs> well, you got 15 minutes left. 15, yeah, sure. would pretty much take up almost That's the 11, entire 15. 11 minutes and 30 seconds. Yeah. So instead of doing that, um, and I know that Tanya won't mind, um, 
Let's continue with um, looking at the, the our, my director is telling me which one I should do next. And looks like item six. And uh, this is Producer's some more. The producer has been promoted. Pardon me? The producer has been promoted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, we didn't hear that I made her director as well? No. no. <laughs> okay. I well, did. read well, the memos that HR puts out, okay? Must That's have been her birthday say. present, was it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Does that mean she, get, she gets pay raise, too? Yeah. She's going to. Yeah. yeah. HR is taking care of that. A very significant Perfect. one. <laughs> Excellent. Um it's really nice because um, when the plain tales started, normally I have to go over and try to figure out how to put the uh, graphic up for that. And before I could get to it, I looked at the screen that was already up there. I went, oh, yes, mm-hmm. director mm-hmm. in yeah. charge, Liz in charge. <laughs> okay. Um, right now, though, I think she's watching TV and not paying attention to what we're saying. No, she is. <laughs> I can see her mouth moving. She's saying something nasty to me, I think. Okay, well. Uh, let's uh, go to uh, item six. Uh, oh, yeah, curling. She She's watching curling on uh, TV. Uh, hang on a minute, Liz. The rugby's on. You should I be watching England Wales. I don't think she has any interest at all in that. <laughs> anyway, so here we go. We're going to play this audio feedback from Jay, who is starting his aviation journey. Hi, Captain Jeff, Dr. Steph, Captain Nick, and Captain Dana, and the rest of the APG community. I'm Jay Manning from Connecticut, and I've been listening since 2016. I recently just started my journey to becoming a pilot and logged my first two hours in a Piper Warrior. I just want to thank you guys for fostering such a great community and motivating someone like myself that all but gave up to start flying at 30 years old. It may not seem like much, but I think you'd be surprised at the number of pilots that in 10 years would say, hey, I started because of APG. I also want to give a special mention to Captain Dana, who is a testament to just pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and coming up through the GA route. You know, I myself just earmarked an amount in my budget for flying, and, you know, it's amazing what some resilience will get you. When you really want something bad enough, you just got to get at it. It's been a detriment to me in the past just saying, hey, you know, this is something I can't afford. But, you know, just doing a couple hours a week and being able to put the money towards it, it's, you know, it's I can't even describe it. So thanks, guys, for the good work you're doing. Um, Blue skies and tailwinds. That's awesome, Jay. Thank you for that. And mm-hmm. yeah, yes, thank you. That's a, a great story. Uh, thank you for sharing it. And uh, um, get a great call out or a shout out to uh, Dana for helping inspire people. Yeah, Jay. I mean, that's that's primarily the reason why I enjoy doing this show is to help others and keep people motivated and, and realize that, hey, there there's a way to do to, to accomplish the dreams that you have. And uh, I don't think there's any ever been a better time other than this little bump in the road we're going through right now with the coronavirus, uh, I I foresee the the hiring to continue for a long time. So I think you're making a very good choice. And anybody else out there that's uh, looking for motivation, well, there you go. Jay, mm-hmm. Jay is a perfect example of, of what you can do. And if you put your mind to it and your finances to it, there are ways to get around the, the, the roadblocks. If you want it bad enough, you can do it. Absolutely. 
And uh, skipping over to eight uh, from Q Captain Troy. Yeah, it's Q Captain Troy from Acme Boutique in Canada. I'm proud to announce that I've just completed my goal of listening to the entire back catalog of APG. Great. I thought you were going to say Dana's wow. Oh, yeah. Okay. Wow. Wow. Ah. Okay, here wow. we go. Wow. 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 Which ones? Okay, you have to figure out which one is recorded and which, which one's, one's live. Real, which one's not. <laughs> <laughs> or here, here's a, a Nick is going to chime in. Brilliant. <laughs> oh, doesn't, Brilliant. Really, doesn't really sound like Nick at all. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, so, getting back to uh, Captain Troy, um, I started listening at episode two eighty five point five, the Eclipse special, and for some reason, I got hooked. Since then, I've caught up on all 412 current as today episodes. Uh, this is 415, so, uh, but he sent this in a little while ago. Um, am I now cured, or do I have a terminal case of APG syndrome? Doctor? It's terminal. Yeah. Because, unfortunately, you just won't have any back episodes to go back and listen to. You'll have to just continue with the current ones. Um, for the really severe cases, sometimes people go back even again. So, yeah, oh, uh, re-listen to them. <laughs> yep. Oh, dear. That would yeah. be sad. It, it is very sad. Anyway, uh, finally, I can start listening to all the other great aviation podcasts. Now, we don't recommend that at all. <laughs> no, no. Jeff, yeah. do you realize if you ever stop, all these people are going to die? I know. That's a lot of, uh, a lot of lot, pressure. A lot it of is. pressure. A lot on of me. responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Anyway, on a recent show, the topic of jump seating was discussed. I'm quite jealous of the jump seat system that our U.S. counterparts enjoy here in Canada, although I can use reciprocal jump seat with most airlines due to Transport Canada regulations. I'm only permitted to occupy the jump seat of an aircraft for the company I work at, and it must be a domestic flight. If I wish to jump seat with another company, there must be an open seat in the cabin, and you cannot sit in the flight deck. We call that uh, flow-through, Dana, I think. Flow-back, yes. flow-through, something like that. Flow-back. Yeah. Um Okay, where was I? Um, if you know, In the fall, I took a trip to visit the Georgia Aquarium. Dana, have you done the dive with the whale sharks? I have not. Yeah, I didn't know you could do that. It you was an can. incredible surprise birthday present from my awesome wife. The uh, U.S. carrier offered me to sit up front, but our company has expressly forbidden us to ride in the cockpit of other carriers. And I know some staff who have been disciplined for pleading ignorance. I've heard rumor from my jump seat coordinator that they are lobbying Transport Canada for a similar system to the U.S., where any pilot with a red pass could sit in the jump seat. But who knows if, when it may happen. As a self-diagnosed av uh, AV geek, um, aviation geek, I'd love to sit up front and see how other carriers operate. Yeah, I think it's a good thing to uh, see what how everybody else is doing it out there. I think it's beneficial to see how other others do things to see if we could improve our own operations. For me personally, I love having company employees in the jump seat. Pre-9-11, I got to sit in the jump seat of a 737-200 on approach into Halifax, and I've never forgotten the experience. I wish I could show more people what we do at the pointy end. I have a question for the panel about different transport category planes you've flown. 
In my career, I've flown numerous GA aircraft, but only the Pilatus PC-12 and Dash 8 Q400 in a commercial setting. Do you find the cockpit a comfortable temperature in your aircraft? The PC-12 always ran warm in the cockpit, and even when flying in northern Canada, I was always uh, in just a short-sleeved shirt um, or short-sleeved T-shirt. The Q400 is the, is the exact opposite. To keep the cabin even remotely comfortable, the cockpit is freezing cold. Flight attendants keep calling up front to get the temperature turned down, but we're chattering our teeth up there. I only get long-sleeved uniform shirts now because even during the summer, the cockpit is freezing cold. That's odd, isn't it? Hmm. I tend to fly with the windshield heat on most of the time just to try to stay warm. The Q400 has two packs, one for each engine. One is for the cabin with about 80 people. The other is for the two of us up front. Although we can independently control the pack output temperature, the ducts for the two packs mix in a very confusing design, so changes made to one pack affects the temperature of air to both the cockpit and cabin simultaneously. Turning up the cockpit temperature even slightly sends the cabin temperature up. I blame the aircraft manufacturers for poorly designed pack systems that don't take cockpit comfort into consideration. I've always been curious if it if I've just been unlucky to fly aircraft that have poor temperature regulation up front, or is it similar in other aircraft? I'm considering recommending emergency cockpit snuggies through our SMS system. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. emergency <laughs> cockpit snuggies. Possible show title. Thanks again for the great show, getting me hooked on podcasts. APG was the first podcast I've ever listened to. And now there's not enough time in my week to listen to everything I'm subscribed to. Yeah, a lot of us have that problem. Uh, he says, keep your eyes on the skies. Cue Captain Troy. Um, I don't I don't think anybody here has flown the uh, PC-12 or Q-400. Um, I, fl- I flew the PC-6, which is the predecessor. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, but it didn't have a conditioning heat, so. Uh, it had heat, but no air conditioning. I, the only thing I can remember that um, was bad temperature-wise was the 727 um, when you were sitting uh, up front in the um, uh, captain or first officer's seat. Uh, the area where your feet are uh, got really, really cold. I remember somebody was like popsicle toes uh, all the time in that thing. And uh, the captain and the first officer would constantly tell the flight engineer to turn up the heat in the cockpit. But the problem is that the guy that's in charge, the flight engineer, uh, is sitting further back. And there's not an issue with um, popsicle toes in that position. And so usually <laughs> as a flight engineer, you're you're kind of making it comfortable for yourself. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that's the thing I remember about the 727 is that it was just always really, really freezing cold where our, our feet were, uh, the, the L1011 was like, it was never uncomfortable, three, uh, air conditioning packs. And, uh, it, if it was cold outside or warm outside, it didn't matter. It was always perfect in the uh, cockpit. Of it was just airplane. the perfect airplane. It was perfect. It? Yeah. What can I say? I had a uh, memory pop up on my Facebook stuff today about taking my uh, multi-engine commercial check ride. Um, must have been today, several years ago. Um, so I did a bunch of that training um, kind of in the late winter period um, in the Seneca. And um, that thing, uh, the the door um, had a, like a nice gap to it for some reason, even when it was latched fully closed. Um, so it was it was always chilly in there. Didn't matter how much you had the heat on blast. We were all the pictures that I have, like we're just bundled up and you know coats and things. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the left knee, captain's left knee, and the Airbus was always a 
a, a problem area for me. Uh, I used to get cold and then seize up. Uh, but uh, generally speaking, uh, I think bigger airlines, uh, aircraft, sorry, have got independent heating systems, and they're usually pretty good. Uh, although there was a switch we had called marked foot heater. It didn't seem to matter whether you had it on or off. Uh, it did nothing. I still can't, I still can't work out what it was there for. <laughs> it's just there to make you feel like you're doing something. I think it was. I think it was like a placebo. <laughs> mm-hmm. Interesting. Dana? Well, um, the Brasilia, very much like the uh, MD-88 that we're on, uh, it, during the summertime, would be extremely warm on the ground. Um, the 88, it, you know, even with full packs on, <laughs> this is actually, we should have a thing called Dana's Pet Peeve. Okay, here and we Dana's go. Dana's Pet Wait. Peeve is... Dana's pet peeves. <laughs> that didn't work very well. Sorry. Everybody complains about how warm the cockpit is on the 88, and you get in during the summertime in particular, and you get into the cockpit, and lo and behold, all the air vents are closed. So, yes, of course, you have all the lights turned on and all the air vents closed. Yes, the cockpit is going to be warm. So, um, you know, but during the summertime, in particular uh, on the 88, uh, the uh, CRJ, when I flew that, it had wonderful heating and conditioning. So that's kind of surprising with the Q400 because obviously made by Bombardier uh, at that point and great, uh, great heating and air conditioning system on the RJ. Um, that's pretty much, yeah, that's pretty much it. So uh, I remember pretty much taking off my shirt all the way down to my undershirt on the Brasilia and Dallas uh, during the summertime because there was just no aircraft cooling. And, and you know, the thing is, is, is uh, um, there's no chance for you to really get it cooled off because we're only going into the, the, the high teens, low, low 20s with the Brasilia, and that airplane was just always, always, always hot. Nothing we could do to cool it. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, thanks again, Q Captain Troy. Um, congrats again on making it through the entire APG catalog. And uh, good luck with uh, yeah, managing your yeah managing your uh, mm-hmm. APG syndrome. And I'm just curious to know how long it took him to do that because that's a lot of listening. That is a lot of listening. I don't know. It's a lot of. Yeah, that's, that's a, a lot of time. sleeping is what that is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he said listening. I know. <laughs> you, you wake up the next morning and go, wow, I just yeah, listened I got to like three, four episodes. three or four yeah. episodes. <laughs> you can listen when you're asleep. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Well, I never course, remember. If you hear a loud noise, you wake up. So you've got to be listening. I mean, I go asleep. through a lot of podcasts while I'm asleep because <laughs> yeah. I hit play and then I pass out and, you know. <laughs> Oh, that's the drinking. Yes. Oh, <laughs> that might be part of it. <laughs> All right. Uh, with that, um, unfortunately, yeah, we're going to have to put off uh, Tanya, the second part of her uh, great audio feedback. We have, uh, let's see, First Officer Alex sent us uh, some audio feedback regarding his aviation journey. Uh, let's see. What else do we have? Chet, uh, we're going to push your yours to the next. No, we're going to do Chet's right now because uh, it was funny and we, are, we have already um, – postponed his his feedback so we're going to do it right now uh his name is chet uh chet i guess chet, chet. 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 yeah with I would the say hard chet. ch yeah chet, chet casper 
Uh, 11. 11. I'm sorry, 11. Uh, I enjoy listening to your show. I'm not involved with anything aviation related, but I do find it very interesting. I run a college computer technology department by day, teach emergency medical technicians at night, and teach 3D printing on weekends. I was thinking about one of your recent podcasts where you mentioned someone dropped a drink on the center console, resulting in the powering down of a jet engine. As luck would have it, I came across this in an email from Lufthansa Technique. Apparently, they are putting out the call for 3D designers to attend a seminar on making items for aircraft cockpits. It sounds like they're taking suggestions on new designs. I was thinking about improving beverage holders. All of this is possible with new technology, as you can see from the example shown below. <laughs> now, you're going to have to <laughs> you're going to have to see this in the show notes. Uh, it's very funny, though. So I actually but, own at least two of these. I bet you've got the, the woolen mitts. I've got the woolen mitt one. Yeah, yeah. those are know? great for the the hot tub um, oh, in the yeah. winter. Yep. and, and I, I've got the got shower the happy one. hour in the shower. Yeah, how can you see? I can tell. <laughs> happy <laughs> hour in the shower. That's nice. I mean, mine doesn't say that exactly on it. But are you are you trying to tell me you don't have the third one, Doctor Steph? How do you not have duct tape? Oh yeah. oh yeah well no i don't i mean that's a, well, that's a good wow. jeep. she presumably needs a lot of duct tape yeah for a jeep you should always have a big roll of duct tape in you there. need yeah. always anybody Holding in the, the, in the south especially it. in the south of the united states Fix duct everything. tape is i mean even on what's the name of that show uh oh my god they made a boat out of duct tape, duct tape. Yeah. yeah yeah Mythbusters. Mm. Ah. yeah Okay. We made a raft out of duct tape once, and we sent it down the uh, competition channel at the Whitewater Center. It Ooh. worked great. Oh, Twice. Okay. Nice. So, well, I was really uh, – I'm kind of disappointed, Steph, that you don't have the first uh, picture of the, the first one, I Norwegian know. airline pilots testing the recommended yeah. spill-proof <laughs> beverage holders. They are, uh, there they That's have the those, best one. Those, <laughs> what, what would you call that? Uh, Scandinavian like Viking, Viking, horns. Viking horns. Yeah, Viking the horns. horns. <laughs> Made in fashioned into a beer hat, you know, where you've seen like the people with the two beer cans on the, the hat and it, you know, filters down to a straw. That's that's uh, a great one. Uh, so if you want to see some of the other designs that uh, were included, <laughs> I, I like that the one. Boot. In the, the car, yeah, the, the boot, the boot's great actually. It's <laughs> Australian, but uh. yeah, that is classic right there. <laughs> okay, uh, so if you want to check those out, please do uh, by checking out our show notes. And uh, thank you, Chet, for for that. And uh, let's see, that will be it. And uh, we're gonna have Dylan and Nicole talking about the Convair 990 on the next show. Uh, Luke has some audio feedback regarding the Antonov and. Uh, and as I mentioned, uh, Justin and uh, I'm sorry, first officer Alex, Justin, and Chris Chris Bo Palato, <laughs> I think that's what he calls himself. Uh, some audio feedback as well. So all that. Look forward to that on the next show, uh, episode 416. Now we're going to tell you that if you're new to the show, welcome. Uh, we're glad you're here. Please check out our amazing uh, APG community and aviation podcasting community uh, by heading over to the airlinepilotguy.com website and information about the communities there. We have a community calendar. Uh, Dana and I put our schedules on there so you can check out where we're going to be flying. And just in case we're in your neck of the woods, you can contact us and see if we're interested in meeting for a lunch or early dinner, uh, whatever, some beers. Uh, well, not for me until after after Lent. But uh, I'll drink some wine and gin and tonics with you if you'd like. Um, and uh, many more things available on 
the website and we're also on social but what are you laughing about <laughs> you should be giving up alcohol not no, just I, beer one no i've tried that I've, I've tried that a couple of times and it, it never works i never make oh, it a I week it. <laughs> so i love it um so this time i figured i'm just going to make it just one alcoholic thing <laughs> Um, that and I which, might have a chance. You've already managed to break. <laughs> did, did I miss the well, there was exception. No, yeah, it was no. an exception. <laughs> yeah, the the event was already planned. So yeah, did I yeah, did I miss yeah, the yeah, goodbye? No, no, we're still we're still on the show. <laughs> okay, all right. And I had to uh, use the restroom. I couldn't wait any longer. Oh no, no problem. We're just about finished. Uh, we we're talking about the website. Great website. A lot of information there. Um, we're also on social media. I like to call it the social meds. Please head over to our social meds. You can find us on Twitter uh, using the handle at APG crew. Find all of our individual Twitter information pinned to the top of that page. You can also head over to facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. Um, both places, lots of good interaction from community members and uh, the hosts. Uh, I also sometimes update our Instagram account, which is also at APG crew. Very good. And we are also on Slack. We've talked about it a couple of times. That's usually the place that you'll find the most information about our meetups, our proposed meetups. And uh, let's see. Um, in uh, in the bathroom again, in the shower, apparently, is the guy that uh, came up with this whole Slack idea for our APG team. And uh, his name is... Hello. Hello. Time for... Okay, maybe you heard me. It's time for the Slack promo. Come on over here. Tell us about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha, Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. So thank you very much. Appreciate it. You can go head back to the bathroom, do whatever do whatever you do there. Ah, oh yeah, Delta P. Thank you for sharing. And a big uh, shout out again to our producer director, uh, Liz Piper in birthday Toronto. Girl. Happy, birthday. Happy, birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Until next time, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. See you next time. Good day. I used to be such a good, good pilot. Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly a oh, Airline pilot guy
Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, not a guy I fly a 